Welcome to Dialogue Choices Podcast again. I didn't talk as key uh, say things <laughs> while Keith was again. saying welcome. Yeah, uh, Dialogue uh, Choices <laughs> plus plus. <laughs> Wait, thank what do you mean number or whatever JavaScript or whatever? Actually, just Java. JavaScript I, I choices. I don't know JavaScript. You, you only know Java. Wow, you don't know JavaScript. Uh, Come on, I took Java classes. 13 years ago? <laughs> oh, you're up to date. That's how it works. <laughs> That's fine. I had to sit Solid. there for a moment and think. I'm like, hang on a minute. When was I 19? <laughs> it's been 84 <laughs> years. Yeah, I mean, that's getting real close to half my life at this point. Jesus Christ. That's I'm not okay with that. I'm not okay with measuring my... Cutting my life into fractions and having the fucking like college not be the same fraction I'm in now. <laughs> When you like reach thirty-six, past. when you reach thirty-six years old, you have been an adult as long as you were a child. I hate it. <laughs> what? I'm still too. I'm almost two years away from that. That's nice. The, the when does years. the baggage go away from being a child? <laughs> oh, mine is gone. I don't remember anything. <laughs> <laughs> I'm permanently what? eighteen years old now. I'm just like the I'm erasing the backlog, on the way, to, all the way to the grave. I'm alarmed by this conversation. There's too many things happening that I don't feel comfortable with. What is Andrew? Do you do you remember when you were a kid? You do, actually. I mean, yeah. It you just do, depends on what part. Marks. Oh, that's fair. Like, uh, yeah, obviously, there. Like, being a kid is a pretty long span of time. Are you talking like five to eight? Are you talking about like ten to thirteen? Are you talking about like fourteen to thirty? <laughs> like for example, I don't remember the people that I went to school with unless I met and talked to them after <laughs> I was an oh. adult. Yeah, oh, I just that's don't interesting. Like, rem I, like remember yeah. they exist? <laughs> the, their names, like... their faces. Like vaguely, I have some some recollections, but in general, hmm. no, I don't. Unless I'm, I I met with them consistently or one off anyway after growing up, I don't remember. Which I That's... mean, admittedly, is still a, f a few people, but there's there's a lot of people that are just completely. I guess my gone. lists are really short, <laughs> and that you makes them easy to remember. You didn't go to school. That is with honestly, many yeah. That I, I was gonna to, say, like, I, I went to school with thousands of people, but it was like as far as like people you actually interacted with, it was like oh, I see three. Oh yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, thousands of people yeah. in the school. My school had like three hundred, and that was a lot. That's They're, weird. Yeah. What? Yeah, that's weird. That's like that's like only having one class per grade. <laughs> oh no, no, because the schools like, uh, it's only like four grades at most in each uh in each school, or I guess five. Uh, so yeah. I'm pretty sure we went to small schools, didn't we, Andrew? And they were still like massive compared to that. Yeah, I mean there was uh. I'm trying to think, like, our high school, I think, had, like, 600, 700 people. Um, uh, at least graduating. What? Oh, yeah, graduating, like okay. I was like, yeah. I, I was gonna say, like, I thought it was 2,000. <laughs> Sorry, yeah, it's like, I think each graduating yeah, class our, you mean was our around, class like, was, like, 600 Yeah, people. our class was, like, 600 people. Uh, I, think class, over, I think that's an overstatement. I have like a yearbook. Yeah, our year. Uh, I have a yearbook. Yeah. I think it's actually like 300 per year. But like in total, I think there was like, yeah, I think there's like 1,200 students or something. 
in the in like the, the school proper. Amount. Yeah, I mean, you think there's like, four I, grades. I always struggle. It fucks me up when I think about like the views on like a video or like the views yeah. I get per day or something. And then, and then I calculate that in terms of like, okay, well, that like eclipses like everyone I had known in my entire life until I was 18. <laughs> <laughs> like literally every yes. choice I made for my first 18 years of life and every interaction I had and all of those weird visceral emotions coupled with your fucked up hormones making your emotions amplify and shit. All of that combined life experience is less impact on the world than I had with like the premiere of a Let's Play, <laughs> which is like, hey, 3000 people watch this. <laughs> it's like, what the fuck? How do you think about that? It was because uh... it's not like it's not a reality that's shared by a lot of adult people. Like, even if you have an important job in a company or or to do, you know, super important things. It still only affect a few, only a few people. Like even if you're very, if you're if you're a doctor, per day you're only gonna affect like a few. How many people can a doctor see in a day? Five thousand. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like it's not, it's weird because obviously it's just a YouTube video. It's different, but the reach is, is yeah. I understand what you mean, Keith. I don't understand. I'm trying to remember. There was work. there was a really good tweet, and I can't remember who. I can't. I can't find it. But there was a really good tweet that had uh, that had like a numerical value of certain venues in real life and like their max capacity. And then using that to show you like the sheer insanity where you're like, man, I, I hate that I only have like 300 followers. And you're like, this is how many 300 is. And it's like, yeah, it feels like a small comedy club. And it's like, oh, I only got like 1500. And you're like, here's 1500. And it's like, that's a pretty it's like a pretty good like that's a big amount like 1500 is a lot of people uh it's a nice hard rock cafe for you to play to 1500 yeah yeah that's like i would say that's like a that's a i don't know you could say like a like a dj like a club like 1300 people is a club venue um and then you go to like you know like whoa what about like you know i don't know like fifteen thousand people like yeah now you're in like a opera hall or like a concert hall or like a stadium you're like, what the fuck? That's like, even that's just absurd. Could you imagine standing in the center of an entire stadium, like a sports stadium, and talking yep. to it with packed seats? Like, that yep. is crazy. I, I, I can't imagine a Black lot of people. Bird on an acoustic guitar. <laughs> <laughs> but like, that's what you're doing. It's like without having the, I guess you could say Twitch is like that. I guess you do notice the people watching you on Twitch. But I'm saying well, like on you YouTube. Can... Yeah. Yeah. But Twitch, Twitch is more immediate though. If you have fifteen thousand people on Twitch, like you notice that it's it's the stadium. YouTube is is because it's delayed. Well, it's weird. It's funny though because the uh, on Twitch you kind of don't you still don't know how people are watching you, right? You don't know if people are like having you on the background. They're just like on the toilet and they can hear you from a distance or. If there's like people <laughs> literally sitting there watching every like waking moment that you're doing, scrutinizing uh, every action versus the people that like literally walked away and they're so still yeah, running. <laughs> it's uh, a little bit like, like being on a packed stadium, but everybody's on their phone. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, yeah, exactly. But like when you're on a stadium, you can tell like those people literally can't do anything but look at you. They can go on their phone, sure, but they're still like in the room with you. Like you know they're mm. there. Right. You know that at the very least they can fucking hear you. Um, whereas like like I'm watching a streamer right now 
and they're streaming to 10,000 people. And like, I hate it. What? What? How do you stream <laughs> to 10,000 people? What is that like? That's insane. Now, but but then I look at myself and I'm like, okay, I'm technically watching this, but I'm not. Like, it's muted. I'm not focusing on it. And yeah. it's just kind of there in the background. So I'm not watching it, but Don't I'm those, one like, of not those. count or something? They do Twitch? count as no, they oh, count. Yeah, the, they count. Uh, so they count to the live viewer amount, but they don't count uh, towards. Um, it doesn't count towards. Uh, to no, it doesn't. Yeah, it doesn't count towards drops. Like it, you can't get the weird loot crate shit unless you have the audio turned up. But uh, Twitch doesn't give a shit if you're muted or not in terms of. How do of, you like? How do you? Hmm? I don't think that's. Uh, if you if you mute the tab, Twitch can tell if the audio is turned up. Unless you Twitch can, uh, yeah. Twitch can tell. Twitch can tell if your audio is on or not. Basically, it's between mute and unmuted. It doesn't matter about its volume level. But it's on the player so, itself, not the tab. If you mute the tab itself, you can't. The Twitch can't tell. I don't think that's a. Uh, oh oh yeah, yeah, yeah. You can, yeah, you can mute the tab. So that's, yeah, that's what I do. Yeah. It's because I don't, because uh, I want the drops. I'm not getting drops here, but I usually want the drops in Twitch. But I don't want to sit there and listen to. Say, like, I, don't, I don't think most people even know you can do that. Yeah, most yeah. people probably don't. Or some people don't even use a browser that supports it. I don't know if Firefox does it natively. I know Chromium uh, browsers do. So if someone doesn't yeah, use yeah. Chromium, maybe it doesn't it's not an option. But uh but yeah, anyways, the point being, still, ten thousand people, even if five thousand people are watching you right now live, that's like your entire that's like seven schools watching you. That's crazy. Yeah. <laughs> like, that is crazy. <laughs> like seven schools worth of kids sitting there watching you. Could you imagine? It's what all if you kids like? As well, no. They're, and they're all making TikToks about you and dancing over it's, what it's you're literally saying. Literally more and now stressful look... than going to prom. <laughs> that's true. That that's a good comparison though. That is a that's kind of puts things into perspective. Think of it this way: there are more people watching this this podcast. Like more people will watch this podcast than the amount of people you will po you could possibly even ask to prom like <laughs> that's just that's, isn't there like a limit like so, the 300 so limit like, of how many relationships meaningful relationship you uh, meaningful relationships you can <laughs> well, have yeah like sure but, but the point i'm saying is like some people are like held up and like oh my god it's stressful to like ask one person it's like there are going to be like thou like thousands maybe like at minimum 1500 people that watch a podcast and that's crazy you can't you would literally Let's have ask, to ask like you have to ask out everybody that? everybody in your but, school yeah yeah like so everybody every listening to the single. podcast right now do you want to come with us to prom that's the question and if yes then we have a and a look how West easy that series. was curl just asked 1500 people to prom and even if well, they all say no of chads right yeah. it, even if they all say no <laughs> he's done he's done something so much easier or so much harder than just it's like going that, up boom to a person that one boomhauer bit with maximum efficiency where he just harasses every woman in a, in a shoe store <laughs> exactly <laughs> um oh, i just asked yeah. out like a small country <laughs> <laughs> a small country uh -huh. of a, a thousand people that's not i don't think that that's what is the smallest country it's gotta be <laughs> the vatican, the vatican? Right? isn't that always yeah. the one that people say yeah but it must be also in terms of population because the other ones are like Monaco. Monaco has a bunch of people in there. Even if you don't account for all the the tax evading semi company things that they put in there. Wow. Yeah, Monaco is just basically. Getting more people, they might have to rename it to Duoco. 
<laughs> wow. Really bad. That's <laughs> uh, 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 So you got a story mm. for us, Colonel? <laughs> I did. I uh, last week the, uh, I didn't like it. I didn't like the feeling of. Didn't of, like uh, it. No, I didn't like the feeling of of forgetting my homework that I felt last week. Oh, and maybe you so, didn't like uh, your story. Oh no, I I like. Uh, well, I hadn't finished it. That's why I forgot it. But now I finished it, and um, I I I'm ready. I have it over here. And you guys can don't can read use ahead quotation as well. marks. Sorry, you don't use quotation marks. Don't. It's not very common in Portuguese, and also I, oh. it's it it's a. Uh, it's it's not very common in English to not use quotation marks, but it's the 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 way I'm doing it makes sense, right? It's not. Well, it's, yeah, not it's color coded. Weird. I'm gonna have to go back and, and add quotation marks because it's it's not gonna be color coded when I put it in the in the video editor. Oh no no, the color coded is just so I can know the voices because otherwise it's I can get lost. Uh, and uh, <laughs> I put the colors there. It's the the the, the dashes, the the big dashes that that say at the start in, of speech. That's a thing in English, right? I've seen it. I've um, seen that. No, uh, that's usually <laughs> no? that's uh, that usually is. Uh, what's the? Am I using that word right? Probably Text not. Messages. Uh, I don't remember the name on. of that. The, the M dash or whatever. The you know okay. the, the dash. It's dash. usually uh, it, it auto. Yeah, it's like. The dashes are usually there to either delineate stammering, so like, or being cut off. Like the idea that mm. um, someone says like, and then I, and then like you put the line after that. Yeah. Um, or someone cutting someone off. If your dialogue starts with a line, it usually means that that's like when someone started listening. Yeah. Like uh, so I did a, or somebody, I did or somebody walked into the room while they were talking or something. I did a weird. It's a weird formatting, but uh, as long as you didn't use dashes in the correct way, then it probably will be okay. (laughs) (laughs) No, I didn't. People will get confused. There you go. We did. I did. I did the wrong thing consistently, so it's fine. Perfect. So um, let me let me look up the 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 theme because I forgot to write it down, but I said it last week because it's a, a a CD. Where everybody can time travel, but I just want to ah. read it proper. Do you have a? Do you have who did that, Keith? Sasha. Uh, Here is oh. a short uh, story prompt: a city where every resident is a time traveler, which is similar to everybody can time travel. And as you can tell, it's it like time travel is the the worst thing to write about because plot holes just will sprout out of everywhere. It's it's it, it's a nightmare. Wow. And uh, and and yeah. So for me to come up with a premise apart from the city where ev- every resident is a time traveler, um, yeah, it was. It I, I mean, I came up with it, but uh, it was a challenge. And then I made it even even harder because I wanted it to be sort of an al- allegory sort of situation. So um, <clears throat> here goes. Can I start? Yeah, absolutely. Okay. I looked out the window yet again into the street as I waited for Brianna to arrive. The sound of Dad and Sawyer arguing was everything I could hear since arriving from work that afternoon. They were going on and on about the same old bullshit, how it was all rigged against the common men, and how shifters were the real problem. Sawyer was a fucking idiot, though. I wish things just went back to normal, Dad would say every once in a while. 
Anytime I see one of them shifters, I just want to grab my camera and snap. Snap, snap. Chris, you know only pigs can have cameras. If they find out, Sawyer would start in response without fail. But Dad would have none of it. He loved that cops kept a close eye on everyone, everywhere, at all hours of the day and night. Time travel was a dreaded trick some people used to make a living in our city. But it wasn't easy to do, they said. I didn't know all the details, but the gossip I heard at work was that once you had a picture taken of you, traveling through time, or shifting, as they called it, suddenly became a lot more dangerous. And shifters went missing every day because of all the surveillance cameras. But still, they did it. They would time travel, just have a chance at survival. Those lucky enough to work at a factory or in an office didn't need to do it, of course. But if you couldn't find a job, or if you didn't want to find a job, as that put it, you could always shift and bring back whatever you could find. So what if they find my camera? I'm not a shifter, they can't arrest me. They don't need to arrest you. They just need to make you shift, and you're done for. Sawyer had a point. Technically, any one of us could shift given enough time and effort. Ever since the war, it was just something people could do. At first, it was chaos. The war itself killed thousands, but the real losses came from people trying to get to a safer place, or time, as it were, using this cursed time-traveling ability. They were just gone, most of them, never to be seen again. The few that made it back were the ones that went far enough into the future to see the end of our world, the last remains of human civilization wasting away to the radioactive winds of planet-wide desolation. Nobody ever came back saying they saw a better place. And why would they? Our place was fucked. Our lives were fucked. Dad shouted the same slogan again, this time even louder. A humble life is better than oblivion. You don't have a choice, Chris. You don't know what they're hiding. You think they don't fucking shift every day of the week? Look at their palaces and tanks and whatnot. He never had a reply. He didn't care to have one, either. Sawyer could see the hatred boiling in his eyes. Not the hatred for the government or for the cops, but for the shifters, the freeloaders, as he called them. In his mind, he was doing his best to get everything back to normal, slaving away at the factory, earning an honest living, putting his kids through school and into a good job. It was the shifters, traveling through time and scavenging what they could to survive. They were the ones who were fucking things up for the rest of us. And the government made sure that these freeloaders lived in fear every day of their humble lives. Once they were caught and put in prison, they were trapped. They could either work their sentence off for the rest of their days, or they could shift away from their cells. Simple as that. But because of the cameras, shifting inevitably resulted in death. Time paradoxes, they said. That's what does them in. Suddenly, someone knocked on the front door. It was Brianna, finally. I had missed her going up the street to our unit, somehow. As I rushed down the stairs, Sawyer had already opened the door. Hi, Brianna. What's up? Oh, I love your jacket. Fuck off, Sawyer. She doesn't have time. I shuffled outside and grabbed Brianna by the arm. Sawyer was always hitting on her, even though I told them we were seeing each other. Dad didn't know, and I didn't care to tell him anytime soon. Where are the two of you off to at this hour? Dad shouted from inside. I didn't answer and just led her away from the unit back down the street. I held her tight to me as we hurried towards the plaza along the broad sidewalk. It was early evening, so everyone was either clocked in or having dinner. And as the red sun disappeared into the horizon, a light rain had started to fall. 
Rihanna pulled her hoodie up to protect her scraggly brown hair from the drizzle. It was an old jacket she wore often, especially in colder days like this. It had a cute little pineapple stitch to one of the sleeves, but it was all scuffed and stained from being worn too often. I felt her slow down under my arm. Are you okay? You're shivering. I'm okay. Her voice broke, and she brought a hand to her mouth, muffling a sob. I knew not to push the subject. If she said she was okay, even if she wasn't, I should let her open up to me on her own terms. The best I could do was walk with her back to her mom's place. It was a 15-minute stretch, and we liked to do it together every time I'd get home from work before she did. Today was her mom's birthday, and so I was invited for dinner and dessert. I loved her mother. She was the coolest, knew all the, these great stories, played a kick-ass guitar, and cooked like an angel. She was also a shifter. Most of Brianna's family was, in fact, but not Brianna. She worked in a factory like everybody else, surrounded by cameras every day like everybody else. We didn't talk much about work or about shifting. She was afraid of getting caught or slipping up or being overheard. She was afraid of me, I felt, that I would betray her. We had thought about it once. She told it wasn't me, it was her, and that I just needed to give her time. And so I did. And we didn't talk about the subject anymore. We should hurry. We're going to get soaked at this rate. I looked up at the quickly darkening sky. It wasn't pouring down yet, but it looked like it would soon. You're right. I couldn't see Brianna's face through her hood, but she let go of my arm and pressed through the boulevard ahead of me, almost running. I ran after her, keeping pace, feeling the light rain hitting my face and hair. It was going to get all messy, but I didn't care. In my mind, I could hear Brianna crying as we ran. I felt her running away as much from the rain as she was from whatever was going on. Something had happened, something bad. It didn't take more than five minutes for us to reach her mom's unit. It was a tall concrete building with chain link covering the windows, much like the rest of the buildings in that part of town. Glass was expensive and hard to replace, so most folks didn't bother, especially with thousands of people living so close together. Glass was easy to break, and fires were easy to keep. Her mom's unit was high above, a couple of hundred steps up the stairs, so we caught our breath in the main hallway, surrounded by the sounds of plates and the chatter of her neighbors. Here, let me help you. I pulled down her hood and wiped the rain off of her puffy face. It was soaked, just as her clothes were. But she wasn't shivering anymore. You need to change when you get home. You're going to get sick. She looked at me in the eyes for the first time that evening. Hers were stern and cold, an expression in them that I had never seen before. She wasn't crying, but that didn't reassure me. I formed the words in my mind to ask her again, are you okay? But she didn't let me. You look a mess, she said, mirthlessly. Of course I did. I put mascara on before leaving, which I rarely did. I wanted to look handsome for the party, for her. But now I'd wash it off before I had I I would have to wash it off before dinner. That would have upset me if everything else was alright. But that look on her face told me everything wasn't alright. What happened, Brianna? Her unmoving eyes gave a momentary hint of grief, anguish. Her mouth hesitated before answering. My brother didn't come back from work today. She paused for a moment, never looking away. The work she was talking about was scavenging, shifting, time traveling. They didn't come back, she repeated. I think they took him. Her face was stone. Her stare did not move an inch. But mine did move. 
I reached to hug her, to comfort her, and I felt balls of water welling up and running down my face, uncontrolled. I felt my throat shudder, my mind go blank, and my knees falter, and we both crumbled on each other, surrounded by strangers in the bustling hallway. I'm so sorry, Brianna, I choked out. Let's go, she whispered, looking at me, putting on as brave a face as she could. You have to tell Mum. And then her face fell, and we cried. It wasn't right. It wasn't right that they had to keep living in misery like this. Brianna didn't do anything wrong. Her brother didn't do anything wrong. None of them did. The world was fucked, and none of these people were at fault for that. They were just doing what they could, all they could, to survive, to live and love, and not get taken away forever for the crime of not working at a factory. The pain of losing somebody so close to you wasn't new to her. This happened every year, once or twice. Somebody she knew would get taken away, or worse, they'd simply never come back from a shift. And every time it cut just as deep, and it hurt just as much. But to me, to me it was new, and my reaction was as unbidden as it was unearned. I lived in a nice place, in a nice unit, surrounded by motherfucking trash who would sooner shoot a shifter dead than give them a hot meal. I didn't grow up fearing for my life and the lives of those around me, reminded every day of how everyone was out to get me. I had to compose myself, though. We entered her mum's place where everyone was already chatting and dancing and drinking. Her mum was her happy, welcoming self and received us with open arms and two loud kisses. I tried to smile, but Brianna didn't. I sat down on the old couch by the fire as one of the dogs licked my hand, wagging its tail, and everyone around me slowly quietened down to a murmur, the slow, inevitable, familiar realization dawning on them. They knew what Brianna and her mom were talking about in the other room. They were all siblings, parents, children of shifters. Made, uh, many of them were shifters themselves, and they all knew what it was to live as one, or like one. It made no difference. But I didn't know. And as the two of them in the other room stopped talking, my heart was in pieces. Her mom came through the doorway. On her face was the stony and wavering expression I had seen on Brianna downstairs. But in her eyes, there were tears. That got That's harsh. It. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Jesus. <laughs> I, uh, how, how do you like it? That was good. That was uh, invested. Yeah, I like the I like the premise. I would like to know more about the, uh, I guess the consequences of of like I don't know. Uh, I would like to know more about the consequences of shifting. Like, what is what has caused such a stark reaction? Like, what is what was the, the catalyst? The, for me, the darkness <laughs> was funny because the the prompt writer wrote. I had this cute idea in mind about the time travelers meeting in town center every week and telling each other stories from their travels. Oh, oh no. no, it was the opposite. <laughs> that's like the. <laughs> yeah. And I'm like, that's, that's, I don't think that's what the tone we're going to get is when, no. uh, like last week, <laughs> Colonel said it's about capitalism. <laughs> yeah, basically. <laughs> yeah, uh, so to answer Andrew, Andrew uh, your question. My idea was to shy away from um, from explanations like that. Uh, I thought I thought like if if I had to 
pick up on anything like that. It would have something to do with... It would be like a comic book sort of origin story. Like the radiation made people be able to time travel or something like that. Uh, because it's so... It's so prickly. Like anytime you get into the details, even even the the whole premise of you being photographed and then you can't time travel without risking your life, like that needs to be so unexplored all the time because the moment you start being, going to technicalities, you can always game, uh, rig the game because time traveling is a paradox always, every time, unless, uh, like, unless you're only going to the future, which uh, was not the case here. Uh, so it's so difficult to just... It, because you need to touch on the story, but you also can't... Uh, you can't expose it as much as as uh, as you can in other types of stories, because of you know, mm. paradoxes and weird weird things like that. I guess that makes sense. I just I always like the the weird conventions of worlds. Like that's the that's always the fun part to me. Is like how did you build the society and why did you build the society the way you built the society? Mm -hmm. uh, like, is it practical? Because it doesn't have to be. That's like. I think that's a thing that is often overlooked in world building is it doesn't have to make it, it has to make sense in terms of like to the world, but it doesn't have to be like the best option because that we don't like real life doesn't choose the best option. So like is putting security cameras everywhere the best option? I mean, sure, I guess in a police state, it does sound like the best option because you get to watch everybody <laughs> and prevent time travel. But mm -hmm. yeah, but like. That sounds also very expensive. And who's sitting here watching all of these stupid fucking cameras? And like, well, I, I don't know. It's I, I, the, the, that one slogan, a humble life is better. Let me see if I can find it. A humble life is better than oblivion. Uh, that one slogan is sort of a hint at that sort of, and also an allusion to real life uh, people who side with fascistic uh, regimes uh, is, is that, you know, the sort of brainwashing that happens to a lot of people, especially the sort of uh, rooted in divisions of society. Uh, I, I drew inspiration from that. And I think, like, if I had to write more about this, I definitely would, would just flesh that out even more. Because uh, there's, a, you know, in my story anyway, there's th that division is, is felt. It's the whole thing about right at the end where um, the main character says... I live surrounded by motherfucking trash that would sh rather shoot these people dead than than help them out. Uh, that's you know that's that's where that uh, surveillance comes from, and that's in real life. That's also why that surveillance even is capable of surviving, is because there's a lot of people just betraying each other. Ah, uh, good old. I was on the hunt. It's hard. It's hard to parse community. on the first attempt, but I was definitely. On, I was definitely like. Am I sensing queer coding in here? And I was like, so we have this particular group of people. I mean, you start off with fucking it would basically like a like a pair of like bigot dads having an, the most irritating conversation ever. And I'm like, okay, now here's this other group of people that are specifically hunted and they're but they're actually just doing this stuff to survive and so on and so forth. Though you primed it for me by being like, I changed a word to handsome. What does that mean? And I'm like, it's a character trans. Is that what is that what's happening? Like, is that the implication? <laughs> Uh, I uh, I I think the characterization of the two characters that are discussing at the beginning might be a little bit lacking. Um, so they're they're supposed to be father father and uh, and child. Uh, and um, I, I didn't I wasn't thinking specifically of uh, queer quoting in that in that uh, aspect. Uh, but the main character is a woman, and 
uh, so the I is a woman, and that's why I I use the word that I I told you that I I that line where I say I wanted to look nice I I changed it to uh, I wanted to look handsome, which is it's it, it's barely anything but at least it, well that's that's the line I changed, um, and um, so th there's a there's a, a lesbian romance because Brianna is also a woman. And uh, but I didn't think of, of queer coding in in that regard in terms of the shifters being being uh, the LGBT community in that sense. I was thinking like oh, immediately immediately I I well rather when I wrote this when I thought up uh, the premise uh, I was just thinking of normal class divisions. But the more I I started thinking about um, what to say, not so much about what these people would be, but uh, about what to say, I started uh, just seeing more and more parallels to to racialized um oppression basically racial racialized oh, yeah. oppression with, with yeah so because there's a disproportionate correlation between class divisions and yeah. race and gender and and uh, sexuality and so on mm -hmm. and i drew a little bit on my own um sort of sense of of uh so of my own understanding, I think, I don't know if I went a little bit overboard, but I drew a little bit of my own, uh, I drew on a little bit of my own uh, uh, take on 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 my re uh, relationship with that, uh, with that trauma and with that oppression. Uh, the whole thing about, I don't, like, this is new to me. This this grief is new to me. And, uh, and like, Brianna not being, or being seemingly affected, um, or seemingly unaffected and stoic and cold in the face of her brother being gone. But the main character crying immediately, like uh, it's, that was. I wanted that to be real uh, or as real as I could get, but at the same time uncomfortable, and because I I like that that I I like that duality. It's interesting to me. But if I had to write this into a book or something like that, I definitely would have to have co-writers because this is the sort of subject that's for <laughs> first first off is super heavy, and also I it's not my my kind of story to tell. This is. This is very complicated to write about. When I, whenever I try to write something, I definitely get hit by the just the shock of like, how does anyone fin like fill a book? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, they. It's more of just like it's kind of like the the amazement of someone just watching someone have a conversation for six hours, and you're like, yeah. how are you still talking? Are you okay? Do I mean, you we do half of that every week. <laughs> Yeah, but like that's yeah. that's the thing. But, but like imagine but people yeah, but like yeah, there's multiple people. Like someone doing it to them by themselves is like, what the fuck? That's oh just talking that's to themselves crazy. for six hours. Yeah. I mean that's what writing yeah, a book that, is. That, you're you're right yeah. you're telling yourself a story, yeah. basically. <laughs> mm -hmm. But I'm just like I'm just uh, astonished. like I I find that I can get so much done relatively quickly that I'm like, I don't understand how you like fill out a book. <laughs> like how do you how do you even come up with a story that will fill like 200 pages for example because like i can i can and, and like i don't know it makes me wonder like what would happen if i tried to write a story i already know from a book and like how long my version would end up being it's like oh that's 20 pages I, here you go <laughs> i think um i think it has to like the the whole pacing because that, that that has to do with pacing uh, more than anything and it depends on the stories. So some stories are very simple, and others are have a lot of detail. But like for example, when I was writing this, um, I reached the ending. Uh, like I was writing just pure 
pacing. Um, and I reached the ending in 1,200 words, and I ended up with 2,000, a little bit over 2,000. Um, and the reason why I, I ended up with that difference, almost double, is because I went back and I was like, okay, this bit over here needs to have a big pause. And it's the big pause that in a movie you can just, you know, have a long panning camera or just somebody's emotion. And that pacing in a movie works really well because people can just not talk for like a whole minute or more. And it, it allows the, the viewer to dwell on what's going on and absorb the new information and, uh, and absorb the information that just happened. In a book, you need to keep going. So uh, that's, that's how I do it. I don't know if it works very well every time. And I don't know if I'm, if I'm doing it properly either, because I'm sure there's a bunch of techniques and stuff. But how I do it is, is um, like, for example, when, uh, the, the, when I wanted to add a moment where they were crying for a little bit, I made a, a huge diet, well, not a huge, but I'm, I made a big diatribe about how it wasn't right and like the, it's just the internal feelings of the main character. And if this was a full mo a full book or or written for a full book, I would write pages and pages probably and just with exposition and details. Because you can do that. You can just have two pages of 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 a, a, a parentheses in a way just to add that pause. And I think I think that's the that's the why books are just so big is because they they do that pacing like that. You take these tangents where you like you take a step forward in the story and then you go back and you start explaining something that you're kind of like peppering through so that you don't just sit there and like exposition dump something for like three pages straight. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. It's you pacing is a weird thought in general. Like, yeah, I mean, that's the I think that it, it's it's weird to think about. But like the uh, the Witcher books are like reasonably meaty they're not they're not quick tiny short books but they're also not like fucking game of thrones tomes or anything and uh i think they're like 300 pages each or something and like mm -hmm. not so little happens in them <laughs> and yet they feel like the best paced fantasy books i've ever read like they're they're real page turners and if and in mm -hmm. the moment it always feels like all the stuff's happening and then when i look back on that i'm like i'm actually shocked how little happened in this book if i try to summarize it he just went into the room and look at the flowers and it's five pages later yeah. like the <laughs> opening section i think i've mentioned it before but like the, the opening section where dandelion does a performance about the events of the two short stories books uh, and then everyone in the audience is arguing about whether or not his stories are true or not. And, and, and because they're real people in the real world, they're also like like debating them based on actual experiences that they've had and so on. Mm -hmm. And so it's kind of a death of the author thing going on and this metatextual questioning and so on. But then he gets uh, he gets captured and interrogated by someone that has a much more significant interest in a detail of one of his stories he gets saved by Yennefer, and then he and Yennefer have a meal together while she also asks some questions. That's 50 pages of a 300-page book, if I remember correctly. And it's like... That's it. Yeah, it's like, a huge chunk. It's kind of like only two scenes, basically, or something. And it's mm -hmm. like... And I burned through it. It was great. And I was I had a great time reading it. It's all dialogue-driven and stuff, and it's fun. And I'm like... But I'm so confused by the disparity when I realize how many pages it's taking to do that like the uh like what's kind of fascinating is the fact that like the entirety of the first book of the witcher saga is essentially uh Geralt uh trying to figure out how to raise Ciri being confronted over the fact that he's doing a terrible job at it taking her somewhere else 
to take to care for her and then that's kind of it it's kind of where things like drop off <laughs> like that's basically the core event that happens over the course of the entire first book there's like there are scenes and details otherwise and other ch entire chapters that aren't the thing i just said but it's like when you try to think back about that like from point a to point b of like what happened over the course of that thing i was like i was i was unsurprised to hear that season two of the witcher apparently doesn't follow the books like very much at all because i'm like genuinely what would that season of television be <laughs> like what is each episode like 10 episodes of like that for 10 hours of that i'm like where do you like the book is great i have no complaints about the book but i have no idea how you would make like an episodic show out of that content and like it's, it gets all these weird well, questions about what what is pacing and so on they yeah, make I, mean, it I think they, that's the they had, like, translation to another medium is kind of a one of the biggest hurdles. And I think it would work know. if they made it like a Monster of the Week kind of show, which it, well, uh, like as a far Super as I know, Sentai kinda... show. Like it's just like Geralt just shows up. He's just walking down the forest, and it's like help! It's like da 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 da, and he just like runs out of the forest or something. And he's yeah, just, you like... know, like uh, like X Files is, for example, or or like yeah. Supernatural is. There's a there's a bunch of that sort of genre, but but the last wish, which is the only uh, book I read, the last wish uh, is kind of half of it is like the monster of the week because it's um, if I remember correctly, it's uh, wait, is it dandelion telling stories, or how exactly does that fit in? Because you don't know at the beginning, at the beginning of the book, if I remember correctly, it's been a long time since I read it, uh, mm -hmm. but at the beginning of the book of last wish, you you. Just you're reading Geralt doing things, and it's like, oh, this is well, look at Geralt doing things. Now there's this thing, and now there's that thing, and you know it's it's enjoyable, and it's like you read a chapter every day or whatever. And I think it is written to be read like that. Yeah, it's supposed to be. It's it seems to be taken literally, and then uh, the third book opens with what feels like an an implication that it's possible that the events you remember might have been Dandelion's versions of the story. Mm -hmm. which isn't like that's not even that's not set in stone or anything it's just like the uh it's just the fact that the the uh the next book opens with him telling the story in, in all the details makes it feel like it could have been embellished for all you know and start mm -hmm. it's just the fact that that makes you question at all because in the act of having the characters question dandelion you end up yourself questioning the author and what's going on with, with the narrative mm -hmm. But no, the, uh, the, that... the original books were uh monster of the week and that's why the season one of the show more or less was yeah. But of course, the core conceit of The Witcher is that the monsters are never the monsters. <laughs> uh, I always felt, yeah, that's, yeah, absolutely. Like I the always show, felt that the show just opens up with him just slaying something in like a couple seconds. And then it has like a cold open and then moves on to like plot actually happening. And that really summarizes how stupid it would be to make a show that was actually just about fighting monsters because there's just nothing there. It's all it's all about finding out like like how he's being lied to or what or what the monster actually wants or what actually created it and so on and so forth. As opposed to just mm -hmm. like fighting a thing and then it's dead and it's like, wow I did it. Five minute fight scene story. I I, I do appreciate that every uh it's like berserk level or every single, uh, it's like, well, why does this thing exist? And it's always just like, uh, it was definitely not my fault. And it's like, okay, so it was definitely your fault. Like, <laughs> like every single character seems to always just be like, man, that thing's bad. Good thing it wasn't me. And then it's Geralt just going, I think you did that. <laughs> uh, well, yeah, sometimes it is in the, in the smaller stories. It's like that. 
a lot, but not in the big ones, or in the bigger ones. The the I I I only read the last issue. So I can't. I don't have a firm grasp over the overall plot. But I get. Correct me if I'm wrong, Keith. I get the impression that the way the bigger political storylines are told are just very very different from the way the the smaller local storylines are told. Do you know what I mean by that? Like um, even the even the nature of the plots, rather than just the way they are told, like they tell a different story. I get. Uh, I always got the impression, anyway, that it's it's what I was gonna say before. Dandelion, I feel like it's an author insert, and all the things like you can doubt Dandelion's. Um, it could be authenticity of his story, but it at the same time doesn't matter as much, even within the context of the books and of the games. It doesn't matter as much because it's like doubting the authenticity of the author of the books, because obviously Geralt doesn't exist. It is not real. But it doesn't matter. It's a story. Uh, and I think that's why it works a little bit better than normal author inserts. Uh, or at least that's what I expect normal author inserts are. Uh, Dandelion, I mean, being the author insert. But the thing is, when De like Dandelion himself talks very differently about the bigger political plot lines than he does about the smaller scale. The there's a griffin that showed up or the stroll doesn't like this village or whatever. And then whenever it's about kings, it's like all oh, these kings, they're all corrupt or whatever. It's, it's like the moral of the story changes. I don't know. Uh, maybe it doesn't change, I suppose. Because if you're saying that kings are corrupt, it's still the real monsters are people. It's just that kings are talked about in a, in a very different way from normal people in that book. In the, in the, in the setting, I should say. Even to the point, even to the point where they, uh, I I read the chapter uh, where uh, Gerald gets killed, and uh, you know the last oh, book before the games. <laughs> well, if you played The Witcher One, you know that. Um, I read that chapter and I got I, I I it's it's been a long time, but is I got the I get I get the impression that they that the author specifically deep um, sort of. Doesn't, it's not necessarily about dehumanizing the the individual person that that kills Geralt, but it's like, I, it's like he's a he's the mascot of the whole village rather than the one person that went and killed Geralt. And it's written to be like that. It's written that Geralt was killed by the people who was trying to protect uh, to well not protect but still, in, in some t often he would try to protect not in that particular case because it's the whole thing about the butcher of Blaviken and, and things like that. Yeah, it's more or less how things start. Mm -hmm. or so, Carol. yeah, I don't know. A lot of the, the, I mean, uh... a lot of the best stories don't even really have an answer, basically. In that, even the the what's essentially fan works uh, are usually pretty good at understanding that too. Like the, uh, I think the I think the Witcher graphic novels might be made by the people that wrote the games or something like they're not from the they're not from the original author mm. they definitely always have an ad for the video game in them <laughs> uh <clears throat> and like volume five fading memories was like this beautiful train wreck of a chapter where just every single element of the story everyone was wrong about everything all the time from everyone from the protagonist to the people in power to the people that he encountered along the way and like he encounters 
like they're they're leading into the usual thing about how Geralt is the uh the last witcher in a world that doesn't need him anymore and he is uh and he encounters another character that doesn't have any place anymore <clears throat> mm-hmm. but he abandons them to pursue a problem that like where the the person that uh is in power is actively just sort of like tugging him around on a on what the actual problem is and how to actually fix it and they're they're essentially just treating symptoms on purpose but then when he finds Mm. out what's actually happening it's just just becomes this mess of like what the fuck is even morally right here like what would you even do about this problem like i guess you could just go fuck yourself basically (laughs) and then it just ends and you're like well that was a nightmare (laughs) for everybody (laughs) that's an interesting it ends how does it end though like it does it not? I don't remember finish? exactly how. Somebody else is borrowing my my comics for the, for The Witcher. Mm. Take it on good authority that it ends. <laughs> it do, yeah, it does <laughs> run out of pages at some point. Shocking. <laughs> you'll never you'll never guess what happens next. The credits. <laughs> oh no! Yeah, I like that sort. I like this sort of attitude towards storytelling. Um, there was ending um, the story. No, the escape not from moralizing, but instead just ex- just exploring how everyone's individually fucked. Well, The Witcher is very ni- nihilistic in that regard, and just everybody is inevitably always bad, uh, even though it does itself have a, a a moral compass. The books they have, yeah, a moral yeah. Compass. It's, it's, it's not always so much bad as just having problems that don't have answers. Yeah, yeah. No, like, I I do think that it it does portray everybody to be like you can't like everybody uncondi- or anybody unconditionally, not even Geralt uh in in the books, which is not sure, the that's, reality. That's just realistic in some ways. Like it's it's yeah, not it's just so. the fact that people have complications which doesn't make them like evil or anything, but like Well, they do, but ev- the only one's kind of a mess. Only when you really delve deep into people, not like the the time it takes for a book in uh, of the witcher to get to the rotten bits of people is just fast it's just you know you oh look at this person they yeah. help the children but they also killed their mother so you know <laughs> oh look at this little girl she's nice and likes cats but she's also a demon and bad i'm just thinking about the complications of like i'm sorry i just don't remember that i don't remember the names of any of the witcher books <laughs> except the first the first short story one i think is called the last wish yeah books in order cover what is the fucking i think it's okay the last wish and sort of destiny are the short stories blood of elves is the first serialized one uh like i I just think about the fact like there's like there's like a 50 page chunk of that book that's just them on in a caravan with yarp and zikrin and arguing about politics basically (laughs) Oh, that's the dwarf, right? And it's fucking yep. great. It's enthralling. It's just a mess. It's like mm-hmm. talking about how the Scoia'tael, because the first thing you think of for the Scoia'tael is is elves usually, but it's full of dwarves, and it's because it's it's about the the allied races dealing with the the tyranny of humanity and so on in that in that setting. And obviously, Zigrin is on a human caravan here with Geralt, and it's like this mess of of like whether or not the people. Like whether or not he's a traitor to his own people or whether or not they themselves are sort of being sold a lie to begin with and just being 
uh, hyped up because they're young and easy to to rile up for something and so on. And it's just like this mess. And like every element of The Witcher, it's always told from the perspective of a character that has their own biases and perspectives. So you're getting a, a filtered version. They, so you have your which I always think like that way of telling a story makes things more engaging because you kind of feel mm-hmm. like you have to hunt for the real answers while you're going through it. Like you have to question every character that you're dealing with. Mm hmm. And it also allows you to disagree with a character without being like, these books are shit. Because, you know, if you... Like The Witcher 2, for example, has a terrible eye for understanding system... system, What's the word? Systemic, that's the word. A terrible... uh, Witcher 2 has a terrible eye for understanding systemic oppression of the dwarves and the elves. And it it pays lip service to similar things uh, in real life. But it does it out of just, you know, this is what happens. Let's, Let's portray the elves in the... And the dwarves as as being oppressed races, which they are obviously, but but it, at the same time as things like uh, ghettos and and uh, and basically apartheid states and different laws for either if you're a, a dwarf and an, or or an elf, and it, it there's nobody ever complain not not even the elves and the dwarves complain about that in the in The Witcher Two. It's always so so surface level, and any any time they they're like there's one time early in the game where you confront the boss of this one town that you go to uh, and you say, oh, you treat the elves and the dwarves bad. And he says, oh, I, I do, but I, but that's because they're criminals. The, the nice ones, they, they don't get treated bad. But the, the reality is that they live in an apartheid town. The, the dwarves and the, and the elves live either outside of town or, or in like a little ghetto thing. So even what he's, say, what he's saying right there is, a, and he's not challenged by Geralt, uh, the conversation is with Geralt. Uh, even what he's saying there is not correct. In uh, like, uh, the game passes it as correct. Like he treats the good mm. ones good, it, which the game doesn't say is the good thing to do to be racist, but only for the bad ones. <laughs> uh, the game because the game doesn't say that, but it doesn't have a good eye for say, I system. think the real Geralt's smarter than that. Yeah, but the The, the Witcher Two has it, 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 yeah, it's it's complicated. But it the thing is. Uh, that's, I think, the the hardest things to do from when you're telling a story like this is understanding uh, the implications of the setting you're tell you're telling the story of, and I think that happens with a lot of franchises, not just The Witcher. Like it happens with Mass Effect as well. I I was just let's not derail the conversation, but but still, the the it's very easy to fall into those traps because the moment you introduce one subject, you need to ask yourself. Why is that subject there? So if you have like an apartheid town, you need to ask why is that like that? Why do not why don't humans live with dwarves? What is going on? And obviously the reason is because they are systemically indoctrinated to not like dwarves or elves or whatever. And then you ask why is that? And the reason is oh. because there's all racist <laughs> basically. If I there's one it was thing that the it Witcher... was really annoying to have like all of your stuff really low on the shelves. <laughs> No, it's if there's one thing that The Witcher does is, oh, human, and that's why I think that it might be a little bit nihilistic. Humans are consistently portrayed as just bigoted in in the most absurd way possible. That doesn't allow, which is not necessarily a bad thing. It's just the story it tells, but it doesn't allow anybody to be like, oh yeah, they're bigoted, but it's because of of the system they grow in. No, they're just bigoted because that's that's it goes in their soul. They don't like well, the dwarves. I mean. Doesn't it take place in kind of a, like a Middle Ages-esque time period? Yeah, but the, but the Middle Ages... That seems pretty that, accurate that's, then. 
No, though, it's that I think that is that is a you raise a good point. But the Middle Ages weren't necessarily a bigoted place or a bigoted time. Uh, I mean, these people thought that even, witches were real. I'm not really in the I'm not going to give them the benefit I, of the doubt here. But like, not even <laughs> that's I mean, yeah, but they're not certainly not. Um, it's it's complicated to say what I'm saying here. But in terms of race, uh, the construct of race is a very modern thing, and it didn't exist in the Middle Ages, at least in the way it exists today. Uh, and and uh, and in, when you and when it comes to being bigoted against a race, that's some that's very much a modern thing. Like that's after the 700s and the 1800s. It didn't exist. I think people were back kind of concerned with just living. Well, and also really the, the thing is, not uh, you know, there's. There's no excuse for bigotry, but there are sometimes reasons why it is more generalized. And in the modern day, and when I say modern day, not the current day, but but also the current day, in, in the last 200 years, uh, the reason why bigotry is so generalized is because it's enticed by the people in power. And that's why I'm saying The Witcher has no understanding and no, it, it, it does not explain how the bigotry of its world is ever enticed by the people in power of its world. So it's just it's just treated as if it's a thing people are. People don't like other races because they don't like other races. And that's in itself a bigoted view. That's not how it works. The people don't hate the, the, even the definition of race, which obviously in The Witcher it exists, you know, because they're they have different lifespans and they have thousands of years of history that's different and all that sort of stuff. So the, the, the distinction is, is the whole thing about, you know, the race analogy, but it's with biologically different species and the shortcomings that that brings. But even the people saying you are of a different race than this person or you're of the same race as this person is, that's all socially constructed. And it is rooted in, well, in, in basically societal norms that are reinforced by the people in power. I don't know. It's a, it's a very mm. complicated subject. And like every, every one of the things that I just said, there's, there's so many, there's so many like, takeaways that we could discuss and i i'm not necessarily very well equipped i'm just saying bad saying saying i'm bad mouthing the witcher here not not trying to going after it do you mean the yeah. do you Damn. are you talking about specifically the games or all of the witcher uh specifically the, well specifically the games um specifically the witcher 2 and the witcher 1 as well but uh, the witcher 2 is more than the witcher 1 uh the i didn't watch the series and i only read one book so my my criticism yeah. for the rest is is uh can't be taken without into consideration i was gonna say like i think the i don't have it all memorized or anything and i'm also not done but like with the series but uh blood of elves already i'm like there, there's some texture going on here that isn't just simply like people are racist for fun yeah that's good that's that's good like that's very important they, i think i think i remember acknowledging that people benefit from the racism and that's basically the point yeah that, well, that's a good way of that's a good way of, uh, I think, it's a good way of at least contextualizing it. Oh yeah, and what do you, you even uh, get? Is it like I didn't know? I didn't know exactly what you meant when you talked about Dandelion talking differently about the short stories or long stories or whatever. But uh, there, there is a distinction that I did notice between those books, which is just the fact. Like I, I had a tweet about it, and then I was like, "Can I get a script out of this?" And I kind of think I can't. But uh, it oh. was incentive enough to finish reading Blood of Elves at least. Uh, what what stuck out to me so much was the fact that Geralt is defined by not his apathy, but 
his claim to apathy like it's so it's such a big part <laughs> of his character that he needs to explain that he's like unattached and unemotional and so on and he blames that and he claims that that's like what witchers are and it's obviously false like every minute of every piece of fiction of all of the witcher <laughs> like yeah he, he's they obviously have emotions and attachments and so on but like that's a a beneficial character trait to cling to when you're trying to be this character that is unattached and uh is going to have these like standalone adventures where each one's like 50 pages and then it just cuts to a completely different story happening in a different year or whatever which is the first two entire books uh and like and like one his like supposed neutrality and everything is constantly brought into question and attacked because like obviously like you have you have stories like the butcher of blaviken where that's the whole point is the idea that you can't there like his his the very idea of neutrality is a a false premise basically mm -hmm. that and that at, that at worst just directly benefits whoever's in power and is still the same effectively as pick, as picking a side uh centrists are bad uh <laughs> but yeah. then you have uh, wow, the fact takes. that he, he over the course of the series <clears throat> he keeps being less episodic obviously like he picks up dandelion and yennefer and siri and he has this like growing series of reoccurring characters here and there until they say they go from being reoccurring characters in episodic adventure to just being a serialized adventure it's like you have two standalone story books and then you have like five or six consecutive books that are just one continuous story and it's mm -hmm. and the big deciding moment if i remember correctly is when he get like like not when series introduced or when the backstory of series happening but specifically when uh Geralt and siri like become a uh like this like adopted father and daughter and so suddenly the moment he has family suddenly the story's format and just changes entirely from being an episodic story to being a serialized one mm -hmm. and that's like a massive change that like that's like I can't even really think of stories that have worked that way before. Like, that's really specifically weird <laughs> to literally start yeah. off as being like, and here's this story and here's this story. And it, like each one's a little titled story. And like, the <laughs> and then like, this is chapter three of this story that you're in or whatever. And then this each book has like eight stories or something to just being like, no, nah, here's one story for five books. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's, that's the threat of having change. children. They just change your entire <laughs> life. <laughs> So he finally got entangled enough in enough other people's lives that he couldn't pretend to just be this uncaring wanderer. And that's pretty cool. And Geralt's a pretty cool character. And I like his characterization. And mm -hmm. he just can't admit he cares this much. But he does. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Very that's relatable. More or less. Mm -hmm. The entire like second 50 pages of blood of elves are pretty much just entirely triss coming after Geralt for fucking up at, at raising siri jesus yeah sorry what is oh, anybody, i'm sorry what? is anybody helping him yeah there's like three other witchers there they're in care Morin, and it's I, like the abandoned I witcher I, like hq but they're all I'm men saying, are there other the people problem. Uh, well, his his way of, his way of taking good... care of Siri was to take Siri all the way off to the fortress that the witchers used to be created and trained in, and just like hang out there with four adult men and just like train, I guess. <laughs> and like that's like her being raised and all that. And it's like it's like you know there are like 
some biological things going on with women as they come of age that you might want to think about, dude. <laughs> he can ask the 100-year-old wizard that he's dating. It's fine. I'm sure she knows. There's like, there's like all these hidden things. There's like all these, all these difficulties that Siri's going through that she's hiding from them and so on that just are immediately apparent to Trist the moment she's there because she's act because she would know to even think about it <laughs> yeah but that's you, i don't know you're, I, you're I, that's what that's i'm saying is like book. he's doing this all on his own like he's trying i don't know i feel like he's trying his best poor guy it's like shit you're saying that the training of, of siri is a, is a whole book or i i i didn't catch the the beginning of the conversation uh no, he's saying it was a found family. We keep having clarifications then... where I'm like, I don't yeah. know what I'm clarifying. What? <laughs> no, no, because you were talking about Geralt wanting to bring Ciri to Kaer Morhen and raising her there, which is... Yeah, the blood of starts with uh, yeah. the Dandelion chapter, and then it, and then it cuts to uh, Ciri and Geralt and Triss being in Kaer Morhen, Oh, which is where they ended up after they ended up together. I, I haven't read... Gross. Sort of destiny for like three years. She's better than the last time I read The Witcher, which is yeah, twelve years. I don't remember if it's like the show or in the show they just fucking see each other in the forest and then the credits roll and they're like, "Come back in two years when the next season happens or whatever." <laughs> That's the one show way was dealing a with nightmare it. in a lot of ways. It really it was, is. Oh yeah. my god! It really. I haven't watched season two, but season one was. A fucking mess. I mean, I made a whole video it's, about it already, uh, but like, they split every episode between all three characters, even though like Siri has almost no role in Geralt's story until they actually meet, and it leads to really confusing stuff going on because all like, on some level, I thought it was vaguely cool that the three uh, characters' scenes were happening on three different timescales, like essentially. Yennefer's perspective in The Witcher season one essentially takes place over the course of like a hundred years, and Geralt's probably takes place over the course of like a decade, and series might take place over the course of like a week, <laughs> but they're happening at the same time from episode one through episode ten until they kind of all converge and and suddenly are in parallel all of a sudden, but the series stuff is spread so thin relatively. And the Geralt stories are so crunched to make room for two other stories taking up airtime that like entire like there's several stories that get adapted where I'm like, what was even the point of trying to adapt this? Like I wanted, yeah, I, I, I was looking forward to him like confronting the satyr and having the ongoing shenanigans of him and Dandelion trying to interact with the villagers and, and pick up intel and continually making the situation worse and worse and failing continuously to deal with this guy. And instead, the entire interaction with the satyr is like ten seconds long. Damn, that's, the, yeah. that's it. Isn't it like, like at the beginning of the episode or something? It's immediately like over. Like there's like they th he throws a rock. He throws one of his his metal orbs, uh, which he didn't have. They gave them those. That was the like that was their mistake. Like it's their fault. He had metal orbs in the book. Uh, he, th he throws them at Dandelion and knocks him out, and then Geralt just tackles him, and he's like, "Ah, stop! I'm an intelligent creature." It's like a, like the last second, like, see, that's the that's like the thing you yell at a Witcher to make them not kill you because now there's a moral problem, and then he gets then <laughs> Geralt gets captured, and it becomes the what the what the real plot is, which is the uh, to to go on about the politics of the elves and introduce them as a as a faction. <laughs> 
but they literally skipped the entire storyline that's like half of the story which is just dealing with this fucking satyr they're just like now we'll skip it you i think you mentioned something about the whole thing about intelligent creature or whatever in your in your uh, video i don't remember because i watched it when it came out and it's been a while but yeah and it was unscripted that's not, nonsense that's not correct though right gerald kills intelligent people Intelligent, I meant intelligent creatures, well, but after he's people. made after he's made a a moral decision about it, yeah, Harold usually kills people in self defense. Yeah, for sure, for sure. Whereas intelligent well, like creatures, a there's like, a, there's like a, a hunting thing going. On. I mean, he almost he almost always sides against killing the creature in most mm -hmm. contexts, yeah. basically, yeah. unless it's like a griffin, uh. Or Damn. a zombie, or a, a necker, or a the, the drowners bias and stuff on, like that. Bias on the birds. Mm -hmm. oh, all all the undead things can definitely go fuck themselves. Generally speaking, yeah. Uh, in general, not just in the but winter. like there's he has vampire friends. Mm, it's true. As, yeah, he's a vampire friend is like a main character of Blood and Wine. Uh, vampires aren't really. But also, they're not but really also undead. The, but, they're un, they're undead. <laughs> And, Are vampires and they're, they're, real people but they're intelligent like... but also like obviously like vampires can be so vampires are intelligent they're wildly intelligent and they can be incredibly evil <laughs> and so like there's yeah. a choice to be made there but generally speaking uh Geralt isn't going to kill something that's intelligent unless it's he needs to and the satyr was just a pain in the ass <laughs> just a massive pain in the ass but I like, like to think about that murdering that people. I like to think that it's like a passed down tradition that all monsters know is that if you meet a witcher, just you can be as rude as you want. But as soon as the swords come out, remind them that you're a living like you're an intelligent creature. <laughs> I mean, the, way that, the way that he shouts like it that. out, it definitely sounds like it's a prepared defense. Yeah. Yeah. That's what I'm saying. Like, like, yeah, he, like, 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 up, like, I'm not resisting or something like that. Yeah, that's like, that's like, it sounds exactly like that. That's why but I was Gar like, it, it, the it, other, the other witchers are that tend to be unscrupulous in that, or at least portrayed as that. They will just kill well, anything. In anyone. Uh, There's a bunch of witchers that just kill people. At least in the sure. Book. I don't, yeah, I don't I mean, know how there much are... there's necessarily a witcher code for that. Yeah, yeah I, I would imagine it's like a personal code, but I think uh, I think Geralt's also or Geralt's uh, Geralt's also well known enough that like I, I imagine people know which one he is. He's like the I think, sexy his, I think his first sexy encounter white hair. more or less summarizes the whole <laughs> thing. I think I think the first story of the Last Wish is the Striga. Is that the first? I thought he was the that dude in the mansion. I think the Butcher of Blaviken was the first episode of the show, but I think the book opens with the Striga, and mm -hmm. that more or less summarizes the, the entire character's uh, stance on monsters, more or less, because he's hired to do a, a basic job. It's going to be hard. Apparently, multiple witchers have already either died or fled when seen, when faced with the the, uh, the task, uh, and it's just like this horrible monster in this castle, essentially, and it sometimes comes out and feeds on people at night. And so he's, he's he's just tasked to kill it, and that's it. But instead, he cures it because he's able to, and he's able to uncover that it was actually this like there's like this massive conspiracy essentially because it was like a cursed royal that has been stuck there for all that time, and uh, like he ends up like 
in the process, he's uncovering everything that the people who hired him specifically don't want people to know about. And he's kind of directly running against his thing to the point where, like, his his morality will often win out over the very idea of even getting paid at the end of the day because he often pisses off the people that hired him by doing what's right instead of just killing the thing that they went after. Mm -hmm. I think in the first game, uh, if you didn't read the books, it doesn't come across as that. But if you read the books, you realize, I think, that basically it's the same thing with the trigger. It's the same exact storyline, but the uh, the person who hires you i think is different and the 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 ones that are in the conspiracy they know that Geralt lost his memory so they're playing him for a fool i think that's how it works in the first game but it doesn't come across as that if you didn't read the books you just always oh, just this story that it's the striga story it's exactly the same beats except the princess is hot now because she's all she's an <laughs> adult because she's a kid i think in the books and in the game she's like 20 or something um, the Witcher yeah, one has a very, a very mm. uh, straightforward attitude toward women. It's uh, they well, are that's big the one with the deck, and... right? That's the one what? with the deck. Yeah, <laughs> they have a deck. They have a deck of naked women in that one, right? It's yeah, very straightforward. They're hot. The <laughs> like, but well, I, I was specifically in regards to the clothing and to the bosom. It's the it's very <laughs> simple. The first time that you see that princess, she's she's wearing a negligee and uh, she's big bosomed as as she often is. Often, wait, that's not how bosoms work. I mean, I I think that depends. It's a very uh, <laughs> bosom by bosom basis. Mm -hmm. Bosom by bosom. <coughs> oh, sorry. But still fighting a little cough. Yeah, a little I bit was gonna say fantasy tends to be pretty consistent about that point of view though i feel like oh, yeah, i just found an outline of the book it, it the opening story is called the witcher and that's the striga the mm -hmm. uh the, the story the lesser evil which is the butcher of blaviken is actually the third story yeah because it's a big story as well isn't it uh i don't remember the what? i don't remember how much the sizes vary i remember well Dude, this guy yeah, it's been a while what the fuck it's been a long 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 while it's getting it's getting up on the threshold of my forgetting memory when it it's a few more years and I I don't remember it at all. It's been twelve years since I read it. I think the second one was like uh, I think the second story is like a mansion that had that has like a That's basically a werewolf yeah. or something in it. Mm -hmm. And then the third that one is the it's the evil that was, wizard the that story. ruined my life, but he's up in a tower and I'm gonna start killing everyone in this town until he comes out. Yep. That's more or less how I remember it. That's Welcome the coolest story. Pockets. That's the one that I like the most. Because they have conversations and it's like you, he goes up to the mansion and like all the things and the, 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 the descriptions are very cool about how the mansion looks and all that. So he puts you into place. I like this sort of stuff. Hmm. I'm trying to think what so, the... they're, they're all really memorable stories. Unless you have read them twelve years ago, then I don't remember <laughs> them as well. Well, like after the Butcher of Blaviken is the is a question of price, and that one's the uh, that's the Law of Surprise that's, story. That's where that's, the sorceress is. No, it's, that's the Law of Surprise. That's 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 the uh, it's the encounter that leads to uh, it's like the one with the porcupine knight, and it leads to oh, right. Siri existing. <laughs> mm -hmm. 
like wildly important. And then the edge of the world is <laughs> next with the satyr, which has the satyr and the elves. And then the last wish is the one where he gets bound to Yennefer. It's like that's a those six stories. Like they're very specifically like in, they're all like integral to the overall mythos. Uh, they're or most of them are pretty integral to the mythos of like the overall franchise or whatever. But also like each of them is just a really solid like narrative on their own, and you're not gonna like remember them all. I think the least memorable one for me right now actually is the. Uh, the mansion guy. Yeah, that's that probably doesn't tie in too much. It, it's it's only character building more than anything. Cause the, I can't help you. Because the Striga one is also character building, but it's also related to the whole political situation that unfolds and keeps unfolding. Once you once you look at it, it's really hard to unnotice how many like there how many of the monsters are essentially just naked women. <laughs> that was a Wait. that was a primal fear back then. The, the Striga is a naked woman, and so yeah. on. Like, there's just a bunch of women that attack you. Oh yeah, and then it gets it gets a lot more noticeable when you read the comics because you actually have to see all the monsters. And I'm like, huh. Like, I think the uh, I think do all four bosoming. of the first four volumes of the Witcher comics, the villain is some kind of monster woman. I mean, that's pretty. Uh, what's it called? Uh, Greek even mythology was similar to that too, right? Like Greek, Greek? mythology always had a. Uh, yeah, like Greek, uh, Greek oh, yeah. monsters tended to always be women, like mermaids, harpies, fucking. Well, there's uh, a lot of mermaid chapter. Yeah, there's, there's like a lot the, of male. just like for some reason it's it's easy. I think the mermaid's like a like, slighted lover or something. I, I guess also like Japanese yokai know. is also similar to that. Most Japanese ghosts are also women. I I don't know. <laughs> I think it's just like it's guys that are just scared. Like they're just really scared of 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 women. There's like, oh, I don't know, man. They smile <laughs> That's sometimes. That's primary it's motivation creepy. in life. It's scaring me. Like, <laughs> I, I don't know. It's just funny to think about. There's like a, a <laughs> mythology is just a bunch of guys scared of women. Like, oh, God. <laughs> We've solved it. We did it. We did it, guys. We did it. It's a, it's our entire society is founded upon fear of women. <laughs> mm -hmm. They're just too powerful. What are we going to do? Well, we're going to tell bad stories about them and how they are. They have snakes for heads. Oh, shit. Even Wait. lionesses run the pack. Shit. It's just alpha logic was all wrong. It was all there to deceive us. <laughs> we just wanted to take yeah, that alpha power back. <laughs> lions. Yeah, lions are just they're so misportrayed in in in, in uh, no. well, Disney movies. Lions are lions are cheated about uh, cheated out of the only good thing about them, which is that they are dumb, lazy cats, which is an amazing character type. All cats like, are dumb, lazy cats. Exactly. That's why it's an. That's why it's a missed opportunity. Why wouldn't you love to see a dumb, lazy cat that's like also the size of a car? That sounds amazing. That's the <laughs> best kind of cat. You put it next to a rhinoceront. Do they eat rhinoceront? rhinoceront? No, I guess what do what do lions <laughs> not eat? Do lions eat not eat anything? Do they always I'm eat everything? I'm sure they eat everything because. Because they're yeah. uh, they're also necrophages. They eat uh, what? What did meat. you just say to me? Yeah. Oh, I thought that they word meant something else. The... Oh no, that's that's the other one. I don't remember the name of that one. Um, no, they no yeah, no I'm pretty not sure that. They're... I thought they were. I thought you were saying they're like uh, like necro wizards, like a type of no, necro ne <laughs> <laughs> I was like what? <laughs> they're necromancers. <laughs> not necromancers, but like something else, like some kind of like special version of a necromancer, like a specialized necromancer. 
no, like I'm how, pretty like, sure they are. I might be doctors, wrong about that, but I'm pretty sure. Uh, I'm, I'm, I might be wrong, but I, I, I read somewhere or I saw somewhere that because they have such a sparse, uh, they have such a sparse uh, chance or su such few chances of hunting. Again, because they tend to only eat like once or twice a week, uh, and they can go for like two weeks without eating anything. So they basically have a gut that is very acidic and destroys, um, <laughs> destroys all the bad things that you get from eating rotten meat. That's how hyenas eat rotten meat and stuff like that. But they they don't necessarily like eating rotten meat. It's just that, well, if that's it, that's that's it. Um, Lions are hella toxic, man. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> their guts at the very least. They have terrible acid reflux. It's terrible. <laughs> that's why they're always cram uh, grumpy. I thought that's why they're always sleeping, trying to sleep off the acid. <laughs> the acid well, that's it's just the normal cat stuff. I see. That's I definitely feel like I can win against a cat in a fight than that. Like if that's if it you doesn't eat in two win. weeks, hell yeah. Just cats are unbeatable. I'm just gonna they're, eat they're, a meal in everything. front of it just to piss it off. I'll win. Cats are, are the ultimate enemy. Bit of spite. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, by the way, did you like that my story had dogs and your your guys' story didn't have dogs? My story was the best one because it had dogs. <laughs> we we did have a missed opportunity there. No no pets. Yeah, our quota were, uh, failed. Yeah, no pets were in our stories. I guess That's I guess sort we were of, focused too much on the craft and not about and not enough on the entertainment. <laughs> That's sort much of detail. Have plot twists. That sort of detail comes to me just from thinking up like places that are similar that I've been in and then focusing on the details specifically instead of like being uh, oh there's this hallway and then it leads into that one and th stuff that I make up no I focus on things like the sofa and the fire and the dog even though it doesn't necessarily talk about the the main story I like I like that sort of tapping into imagination because I don't know where it came from I, I don't even have a dog <laughs> I always get worried I'll get too distracted by it I'll spend too much time on it. So you spend the you whole time writing about the dog. Yeah, you yeah. Dogs just, like, spend the whole story about the dog rather than like the story. But yeah, I don't know. It's here's my twelve page just... manifesto about this fucking this dog going on vic on adventures. <laughs> what was the premise about again? No, let's it not sounds... let's not make another another short story about well anytime soon. Let's go with that, and certainly not mm -hmm. twelve pages. Mine was three pages and a half, I think, or four pages. I don't know. Pages are weird. Pages? They're not a count. I think it was. Yeah, it was yeah like no, pages just doesn't actually mean much. Yeah, it's 2,000 words. You're, I, I counted your words, Keith. You went over. Andrew was 2,000 exactly. Was it really exactly 2,000? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I made what sure it was 2,000 exactly. <laughs> Why? I felt guilty. I, didn't that want, I, didn't I wasn't going to do more work than I needed to do. <laughs> what? That's definitely more work. How it's do you actually? You don't accidentally land on exactly <laughs> two thousand. I was curious if anybody would notice. I noticed. Thank you. <laughs> it's, it's, what the fuck? <laughs> yeah. Mine yeah, no, went I a was little a, bit over. I was almost twenty two hundred. Mm -hmm. Too many words. Whatever it takes to finish the story. I noticed some similarities between my story and yours, Keith, because it was, a st it's it's the nature. Maybe it's just a cliche in short stories. It's uh one character going from one place to another. 
and that's it. <laughs> what? And then there was a sun. There was a sun. There was a sun. <laughs> they walked, and there was a sun. The end. I and am, someone cried. I'm very, I'm very confused. Mm -hmm. I've solved storytelling. Thank God someone's on the case. <laughs> Can't keep what getting away with it. To point out. <laughs> I mean, I saw maybe maybe other similarity. I like. Uh, I didn't. Uh, so my my initial problem with um. I think I mentioned this earlier in the podcast, but my initial problem with writing my my story was exp the exposition that is required to lay out such a fantastical world, such as a world where everybody can time travel, and how that works without creating too too many questions in the in the reader. Um, and and the so the the uh, me coming up with the idea. Uh, that um, maybe two people can be arguing about it and the main character can be in the narrator about the argument and that, you know, I think that worked relatively well. Um, it was a little bit kind of similar to to how you did it in regards to at least having the the other characters talk to in in regards to the exposition, but you just went, that was the whole point about your, your story was was that it wasn't, I, I just did it at the beginning. I think dialogue is often one of the best ways to convey anything about a world or or a story or anything. Mm -hmm. Mainly because you have to like, there's like, because it by default doesn't, like it, you can't just sit there and explain everything via dialogue unless you're a hack. Like you can't just sit there and be <laughs> like, here's my seven paragraphs of a guy monologuing like this is a video game or something. So like it becomes, like if you're doing dialogue well, it's like it's so much more entertaining Mm -hmm. like the actual dialogue is but also you get the information in this piece this sort of piecemeal like natural feeling kind of way that honestly makes it more memorable and more effective to even be something you remember compared to like mm -hmm. that the nightmare that is modern video game writing like just just the crisis that is being faced by video game writing where like 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 even when Horizon Zero Dawn is not like head and shoulders above like Kingdoms of Amalur necessarily when it comes to like exposition where it's like so much oh, of yeah, the actual yeah. moment so much of the storytelling is you just kind of walk up to a person and they just fucking monologue for some reason at you for like 10 minutes and you like <laughs> briefly prompt them a little bit along the way but you don't feel like a interacting character the way that like Harry Dubois does Mm -hmm. And even Harry in Disco Elysium doesn't necessarily prod all that much. But I think it's... Uh, uh, the, the biggest advantage of having dialogue-driven exposition is that you're also creating a character at the same time. So that that's just... It's useful writing. It's not just... The, in this world, the, these people think this. Because for one, then you need to take the narrator at face value and you need to either trust the narrator or not trust the narrator. And sometimes, especially in more complicated settings, not, maybe not even in, the, in more complicated settings, even in simple settings where the narrator says, this kingdom, in this kingdom, the king was good. And, and my anarchist ass is immediately like, <laughs> no, he wasn't. Eat him. Literally eat him right now. And... Uh, and <laughs> so if a character says that, if he was a king checkmate <laughs> yeah right uh 
So so if if you have a character say, oh, in our kingdom the king is good, I, I can see that as character, uh, as both character uh, characterization, but also as it, it characterizes the setting where perhaps a lot of people like the king, which is an important <laughs> thing, because you know a, the king the can setting. be good at everyone's a liar. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, every, yeah, but but you know what I mean? Like it's useful and it works in a, in such a way that it 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 adds depth to to everything. Rather than just being the narrator say stuff. That's I But I'm saying that because I I've I've been as as I've mentioned before, I, I've been playing Mass Effect 2 and that codex it irks me. It irks me something fierce. Some of the some of the claims that are made in the codex of that game is just like, no, 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 that's not. But then again, the codex is written from, by the Alliance. Yeah, the codex you need to go into the menu and and just read it or have it read at you. There's some spoken Thing, spoken sent, um, it read at sequences. me, it just yells. Let me tell you <laughs> yeah, the there, story. <laughs> there's audio files and there's text files. The audio files also have text, but the but I think it is written from the Alliance perspective. So you can sort of justify some of its claims as Alliance propaganda. But not all of them. I mean, it's, I was going to say definitely... most of your interactions in Mass Effect are Alliance propaganda. <laughs> in the first one, for sure, yeah, but not later. I think well, no? not the second one. Yeah, the second one you just you, I think the second one at least does that better than the first one, where you get more of a rich tapestry of of people and and and, and perspectives on the world. It's still it, it it's still capable of throwing bollocks at you for sure, but it's uh, at least in in regards to the, the diversity of opinions and people talking about things, it's it's better on that front. It's just not consistent about it, unfortunately. Like, for example, the prison ship that is all manner of fucked up and revealing of all manner of misunderstandings that the writers have about reality. Not just the, the game, but in, in reality as well. The one... Prison the ship. prison ship, I think. That's where Jack is. Ah. Uh, God. It is so badly explained. I think Mass Effect 2 is shorter than Mass Effect 1. I just meant um, like it's a, a franchise entirely, but I don't actually know if that's true or not. Let me, let uh, me Mass Effect, let's all the Mass Effect games are pretty short until you get to the bad one. <laughs> the bad one is big just to spite you. It's like as long as the other ones all combined, like what a fucking disaster. The Mass Effect is that 1 how it's on supposed to be? Keith's playlist. Oh, Keith did like a cheaty let's play where he's like, ah, oh, I want to play Andromeda. And then he has two hour episodes. Oh, yeah. No, I, my, uh, I, I was remember. in a hurry to get through the Mass Effect trilogy to, yeah, before Andromeda. Go uh, that fast. said, it, do, it does look like, like Mass Effect 2 is bigger. I don't think I even had a schedule back then. I just did whatever the fuck I wanted. <laughs> True freedom. I, I watched the first one, but I didn't watch Mass Effect 2 or Mass Effect 3. Wow. Yeah, I, I, was, I, was I was scanning through it, trying to process the conversation between Yarpin and Geralt, because I was curious because of the discussion just now about exposition. And I was like, yeah, I don't think... I don't think Andre... If that is how you spell... I don't know how to pronounce this guy's name. <clears throat> Andre Sapowski? Sapkowski? Oh, the writer. Right. Andrzej. <laughs> the J's are. Um, I don't always. think that's right. 
Yeah, I'm just gonna say Andre Andre Sep, Sep, Sepkowski. It's not an easy name, even when I try to cheat at Kick it. Kick Butt Lebowski. Kick Butt isn't Lebowski. It, isn't it Polish <laughs> names that get completely mangled in the U.S. after World War II? Uh, There's a lot of people I who think just all skin. names get mangled in the U.S. Oh, that aren't no U.S. names. <laughs> Yeah, like Let's as far as I can so. tell, like Jose, no, what I'm it's Josie at, now. Like, none of the <laughs> none of the world building happens outside of quotes. That's good. Like outside That's of crazy. quotes is like descriptions of people like moving and interacting or physically reacting to each other or so on. At most, there's sometimes like instead of writing a conversation, he summarizes the uninteresting part of the conversation essentially. Like he sometimes mm. says, he said he sometimes doesn't bother writing out dialogue, but instead was like, oh, yeah, he asked, he asked, she asked him about this and he did, but he didn't know or whatever. And instead of like actually writing her asking about it and him not knowing, but generally speaking, yeah, like all the, uh, there's this big, like there's, there's all these conversations about how the world works and what's going on and what the different conflicting motivations are and whatever thinks about stuff. And it's all completely in character all the way through. And it's such a commitment, but it makes it all better and more memorable. Yeah. Because it also allows you to do what games rarely do, which is give you conflicting reports of the same thing, which yeah. keeps you on edge. Which, like, like, Disco that's... Elysium thrives on. <laughs> yeah. And then oh, something yeah. boring, like fucking Kingdoms of Amalur, it's like... Yeah, the entire game's exclusively exposition delivered by human beings, but none of that is by characters. <laughs> Ooh, so there's uh -oh. just it's just 50 copies of the same exposition bot, but this one's a different voice actor with a different character model, a different name, but they all like have the same droning tone and they all just fucking exposit stuff at you with zero personality and almost no like bias or perspective to offer, but just like it's my turn. Welcome to this Disney ride. I'm going to tell you how to not get your head chopped off when you ride this one. Like, like they're just. It feels like everyone's just reading from a script, and it's just miserable. That's I a love good the point. idea you... that you just like a person just kind of shows up on your path and is like, "Hey guys, Tom here. I'm going to tell you a story about exactly how the trail system works. Don't ask me why I know or why I'm here. <laughs> like, it's just like a, just meant... a person just shows up out of nowhere and has to be there so you know." It's a good point that you mentioned uh, bias or, or perspective. So uh, from, from what I saw of the Let's Play, the characters have personality, which just makes it even weirder. Because, like, th like, this character is very goofy. Or this character, I don't know, speaks very weirdly or whatever. So they, they, they sort of imprint their own personality into the script that they're reading, but not their opinion. At least that's my impression. About Kingdoms of Amalur. I mean, voice actors don't have opinions. No, I mean, just into the script. so oh, incredibly flat. But it's the fate. Don't you know the fate? People, uh... they're not free of the fate. The fate, fate. Oh man, that I love. That was that was I badly love the sound approached. of that. That sounds great. Yeah, because basically in the setting, Keith might be able to correct me on this but basically in the setting uh there's this whole thing about people being stuck to their fates and not being able to choose but they don't know what their fate is yeah so so it's like okay <laughs> and what <laughs> so they have these oracles that can tell the fate 
But as far as I can tell, the oracles are the problem. Don't look at the fate and there's no problem then. Because then no yeah, one knows say, what path they... they're supposedly stuck on in the first place. Yeah. Yeah. Are the are these uh, are are we to am I to assume that the oracle said that everyone's bound by their fate? Who is who specifically started this rumor? Yeah, exactly. Like this... That's another thing. How can you prove that people are bound to a fate? Yes, what yeah, will happen this... will happen. But what does that mean? This sounds very much like uh, uh, oracles trying to make a profit in a society that obviously doesn't need them for anything. Honestly, so... it sounds like that old trope of video games where the RPGs, computer RPGs anyway, uh, Ultima did this a bunch. Uh it's tied to the storyline but basically it's like oh in this world there's good and evil but we can't tell what your character is because you can choose between good options and evil options but in kingdoms of amalur as far as i can tell you don't really have a choice or an effect on the storyline so like they made the whole storyline about oh we can't tell what your character is because you're outside of the fate guess what you are you only have one ending you're definitely inside the fate but we tell it it isn't that reminds me That's of like the impression. ending of Fay which fable is it? Which one's the one where you go into the tower? No. I Keith played Fable. I, I just Keith remember also... like it, I think I remember it had like a thing about like, ah, whatever you decide in the tower will determine your fate or whatever. But like all of the all of the options are basically like nobody likes you unless you save the dog. Like, that's the only <laughs> option. And so it's like, well, yeah, I really feel like I can't avoid my, like, I must live up to a particular legacy, apparently, or else uh, I don't think anybody's going to respect me in this society. Like, it's a... Uh, it seems like a pretty know. simple moral code, honestly. Save the dog. The end. Yeah. I mean, you should. If you don't, it's kind of fucked up, man. It, yeah, fair. Like, it, it's... Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's morally questionable if you should even be allowed to exist if you do not choose the dog. The only thing I can like... even kind of remember about Fable is just the the uh, the one really clever thing it did where it's like, oh yeah, you want to overthrow me? Cool. Now you get to deal with the problem I was facing. And I did. And I won. So yeah. obviously I was right. You're a bad king. Get out. <laughs> Well, that's one thing Mass Effect did better than Fable, then. It's just a thing that I couldn't stop thinking about. Because no, it didn't, because Mass Effect throughout... was like, oh yeah, you want to lead an army? Fine, go online and build an army. And I was like, mm -hmm. <laughs> I don't that's think Anthem. you... No, Anthem. that was Mass Effect 3, where just oh, no threw spoilers. a fucking... No spoilers. Threw the controller at you and pissed in your face and acted like you were a, like, a, a child. Like, he's talking about the fact that there was he's talking about the fact that a progression mechanic was tied to online multiplayer oh like a really? single player mechanic was yes. yes wow electronic cards is trash yep it was really no fun multiplayer it. but that shouldn't be part of that <laughs> it i guess that was like their way of buffing out the numbers was that there more people would play it if people were forced to play it um but Obviously, yeah, I, I, just like anything, uh, resent being forced to do something builds resentment more than it builds uh, uh, yeah. enjoyment. <laughs> mm -hmm. I just couldn't stop thinking about the Fable thing because of the fact that throughout Kingdoms of Amalur, you become the leader of a faction and then you leave. They become the leader oh, that's of like a faction. Oh, like Oblivion. 
and then you leave <laughs> yeah, yeah it's, it's i mean what? it's literally from it's literally uh and one of the like the uh, the i think the lead writer of kingdoms of amalur was like a quest designer from from bethesda mm, like no. not a lead writer from bethesda but like a dude that would do grunt work essentially was like the lead writer of the entirety of kingdoms of amalur and oh. uh yeah oh we chose it shows right yeah. confidence <laughs> yeah no it's like it's like it's straight up like the top like there's definitely i remember there's some oblivion people working on it but also specifically like the i think the lead writer of the whole game was like his previous credit was like quest events in fable 3 or something uh which is just not mm-hmm. the it's not like the, not the it doesn't have that indi- much promise to it that like pedigree yeah. that or that that uh that background and so, like, and yeah, it does have the same thing where it's like, here's, here's a series of of, uh, of factions that are all like, let's say eight quests long, like, like, like equally across all the factions, just like in Oblivion, where it was like, the, like the length was basically identical each time. Uh, and it's like, here's the Mage Guild, and here's the Thieves Guild, and here's the guild where you just fight in the arena over and over again, <laughs> and uh, and then you win at each one. And then it's like, and then when you're at the peak of supposed responsibility and involvement in the story of that place, you then leave forever and never come back because that's the end of the story. And it's like, hang on a minute. And so it's like definitely like I, all I could think about was Fable because of the fact that it does it does at least have a game where you you become the leader of a place and then you actually have to fucking deal with that afterwards. And the game doesn't just end there. It's like, no, you're only halfway through now. Fuck you. Because uh, that's, that's, that's something at least. It's so weird to it's so weird to have people being like oh my god you're the greatest hero ever and we love you and you're so important and you saved our faction from this era's long crisis and blah 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 and i'm like who are you i barely remember who you are what are you what's your personality like like what is anything about you and also i'm leaving forever so bye (laughs) because there's nothing left to do you just get another place to walk around (laughs) in and everyone's like wow it's you we love you but like everyone talks that way in in those games there's there's it's the, know, their hand job games. Every single person's obsessed with you in those games, which is itself. That's why Bethesda... Morrowind is the best because we're yeah. watching you scum. Bethesda has its own version of that problem because, like, not only sometimes it goes too much into like the real dialogue is like hero worshiping you in the way that Amalur does, but Bethesda games have that those fucking greetings every time you walk <laughs> near anyone. So everyone just shouts about how great you are constantly. And it's just agony half the time. It's, like, it's that fucking, hey, everyone, Henry's here to see us. But it's like, <laughs> and it's always it's always a nightmare specifically because it's so unthoughtfully integrated that like it's just characters just shout stuff when you walk within a radius of them, which is also what Kingdoms of Amalur does and so on. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so like it leads to moments like Fallout 4's Underground Railroad where like 20 characters are densely packed into one little room and they all just shout at you constantly and it's like <laughs> shut up please like if there was an ambient thing where it's like one guy in the background greeted me or whatever then it'd be like okay whatever but like the fact that everyone shouts at you and has to like reflect your current reputation with them and whatnot is just like exhausting and irritating <laughs> That is kind remember, of real, though. If you live in like a small town and you're known by no, enough it people, isn't. You, it is. <laughs> it is. It seriously is. When I like seriously, I do, or I don't know how often you're. I guess you didn't hang out that much with us, uh, uh, Keith. I was thinking of like when you go places with CeeLo, like you, people will just like know who he is. I don't know who these people yeah. are. We would just like be in a place, and someone would be like, "Hey, CeeLo, how's it going?" And he's like, 
what are you what are you are you like literally a main character of this town how does like everybody know who you are it's so weird it's a completely like, we different would, life yeah like we would just go like we just go to a random bar in like a town i've never been in and be like hey so you love like who the fuck is this guy how does this guy know you what is this shit I like, yeah, no, I, I remember it was like when people talk about like oh we discovered that keanu reeves is is immortal because we found exact pictures of him from 200 years ago and so on like I, I looked at Facebook pictures from like four different friend groups and he was in all of them. And yeah, I didn't think dude, any of I'm them not, knew each other. There's just people. I am not like lying. That. It's it's so like like CeeLo knows Max. Like that's so weird. Like how how does he know someone that's like younger than him? Uh and was <laughs> like they never interacted. They didn't even go to the same school. Like that's that's crazy to me. Like sorry, that was like very uh real life but specific. the point is is that yeah very specific but there's like there's there's like people that are like how did you even meet this person like what is the what is the like six degrees of kevin bacon that had to have happened for you and this person to have interacted <laughs> only, together like there's only one degree of silo and it, yeah it's, it feels like that sometimes <laughs> where i'm like what what happened what what like why how did i miss out but it's I, and it's weird it's more uh i it, I don't know how to describe it. It's like it's it's more weird to me when I think about how like every video game does do that and it feels more natural there. But when it happens to me in real life, it feels really unnatural. But like that should probably be how communities are. Like I think you like you should probably know the people in your community. But it's like somehow it, to me, it seems like such a weird foreign idea. Like, uh, I say who I am. Whenever the person at a food place starts remembering my name, I stop going there. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's like, like that, I don't that's like a normal that. Reaction. I don't like the fact that I've been here enough that you remember me. I, I can't really <laughs> speak feel guilty about the... ordering the same thing every time. I need to rethink my. There, there. I've had cases, yeah, where like they, uh, they know my order too well, and so in some, there's been even been cases where I've gotten free food from some places because they saw me. And just started making the thing that I order uh, uh, usually in advance, and then I didn't order that, so they just gave me both. Oh no! Oh, that's win. That's, that's win though. right that's there. Good. Yeah. I no. I, yeah. I I, I, I can't really speak. I definitely. Yeah. Okay, for it. I definitely recall Keith playing Morrowind, entering like these tiny little rooms in in uh, Vivek, I think. And then there's three NPCs right at the door. So as the game loads, there's this Argonian being like, rawr, rawr, and everybody talking at the same time. And you just like, because you got a very specific sound that you make. But then, but then the Breton, I, think, is, I don't know if it's a Breton, but there's this one uh, uh, female voice actress that has very long lines. So they all speak at the same time. But the last one is like this. Oh, but she just keeps like going this. longer than it She keeps going for a little while. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> It's just the hello lines that people say. Yeah. I don't understand how those games get out in those states. Like, it's just they, they think see, like they don't see. I don't get it. The developers just don't think that's just the thing that I, their game does. And I, it's, I, and I it's, just so, like, it's just so obviously incredibly jank that I'm like, why wouldn't you like. Like they it's, don't have you, the pulse getting it, getting into one game feels weird. The fact that it keeps being like that for several games, I'm just like, wouldn't this? How does this not bother you at some point? There's, I think it's for more me, for example, orders. Like someone says that that's what oh, they for want, sure. and so you just yeah, do yeah. it, and you're not gonna like. At some level, you're not gonna you know question. Gonna question like, fine, yeah. you, if you want to make your own grave, like I'm not. You know, but I, I'm I not also think that it, I also also think that it takes a different perspective to come to 
you know, to realize that it is janky. Like, for example, the thing that drives me up the wall on Bethesda games in particular um, is that they record the same line across multiple voice actors and have multiple characters say the same line. So the whole, I used to be a warrior like you, but then I took an arrow to the knee, has like five different people saying the same line. Why didn't they write multiple lines and have yeah. five different people say multiple lines? Why didn't they do it that? It always drives me crazy. I had I a scene I know why in do it. Kingdoms of Amalur where I, I freed two uh, rebels or whatever, and then they just fucking stand there. And I talked to one of them, and he says an automatic little line that's just it's just a throwaway line. And then I talked to the woman, and she says the same line, but in her voice. Then I talked to the man again, and he says a, and he says a new line. Then I talked to the woman, and she says the same line in her voice. Like, they're cycling it's... through the same lines in the same order, but they're recorded across multiple voice actors. And it's, it's so weird because it's fucking bizarre that they would, like, coincidentally say the same things as each other. Like, when you hear the same line from the same voice actor in random bullshit dialogue, you're just kind of like okay whatever mm, it's just yeah. limited variety in the crowd but when a different voice actor says the same list of lines you're like wait now it's a thing because you now they changed voices oh it, which it's but they haven't changed the lines so it's like way more of like a well i mean it's a thing as in like you, you're not like you can't dismiss it the same way you do the same voice actor oh, saying right, the same see, line at random you're just like oh, okay they're random crowd people that don't matter so they had mm -hmm. the fact that they happen to say the same thing as each other is just like yeah it's like the, the limited variab variability it's like when you fight <clears throat> a screen of 12 people that are the same kind of leather jacket and fallout but when but when you talk yeah. to a different character and they say the same spe weirdly specific line in a completely different voice you're like Wait, what the fuck? Because now it feels like this is a world where everyone just says the weirdly specific thing as each other because they're not the same person. And that makes it <laughs> it's just incredibly memes. stranger. It's the memes of Kingdom Amalur, of yeah. Amalur where people just it's say It's one the thing, thing where it's like a greeting, but it's not a greeting, is it? Like they say like a weirdly <laughs> specific lore tidbit or a very specific form of a thank you for saving them or some other really specific thing that isn't just like, oh, yes, uh, make her be with you or whatever. So like... Like, when you walk into a Chantry in Dragon Age and they say the fucking generic greeting and then someone else also says the generic greeting, that's fine. But when they say an incredibly specific thing, like, uh, to the point where it's, like, random gossip, like, they say that the blah, 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 it's like, why the fuck is that line recorded multiple times? Uh, the reason, I think, is because of the... Of the whole, it's detached. The recording of lines is detached from the rest of the development. And so what they do is the writers write stuff and obviously writing isn't free they need it takes time and it takes work and it takes talent uh but they write stuff and then when they send like we have a hundred lines and when they send it to the 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 um the recording booth they don't have lines for different actors because when the lines were written they didn't even have different actors they didn't even know who was going to be cast so all they have is just okay we have these lines let's have everybody record these lines and we have a lot of voice lines and it's great instead of you know sort of intermingling the recording process with the writing process at the same time which is a lot more complicated because it requires different departments and in not not to mention scripting because don't forget just writing lines and recording them is only part of the job then you have to integrate them into quest lines you have to script them into characters and just a bunch of other things so it's it's just i think it has to do with the, just the way the voice the voice acting is so detached from the rest of game development because oftentimes it's done by a different company it's the publisher who does voice acting a lot of the times 
So not even the the developer. And I think that's the reason why they that happens. But it's still so awkward and it's so weird. That sounds really infuriating to not know what your main character is going to sound like until your main character <clears throat> yeah. just like come, mm-hmm. like until you hear it, I guess. Like you hear the lines being imported into the game and you're like, uh... <laughs> Oh, that's not how okay. I drew the him. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it's the, like the, oh, that's I why. Guess. That's why we, they make a big kerfuffle sometimes about oh, this character was written specifically for for this voice actor, and if people don't know, wait, don't you always do that? Because maybe you should always do that. <laughs> sometimes it's good oh, to yeah. leverage the talent. Yeah, usually, I mean, well, I, uh, video games are not Hollywood movies. So they don't follow the same conventions, just the same. Oh, even costs. I think even even Hollywood movies are oftentimes not written for specific actors, only like main characters. Like they well, write yeah. the thing and then cast. Also, because they like can writing... just afford casting whoever. Wait, are you talking about like writing every role for the voice actor? No, yeah, probably they wouldn't do that, right? The in Hollywood. Oh yeah, that would be. That would be very extraneous, like it, yeah, especially yeah. considering they they often don't play even enough of a role to get enough characterization for that to be a possibility. Like mm-hmm. how how would you? I yeah, I don't even know. Like how would you characterize? Yeah, it would be difficult. Uh, but the thing I'm trying to think because yeah. then they would have to the writers would have to work with the voice actors to know, or rather with the actors to know what they are like and learn them for every character and yeah. But the thing in the game in games is like you have a hundred lines written for random NPC dialogue and you don't know how many voice actors you're gonna have. If you at least had an idea, okay, well, I'm gonna have ten voice actors for random NPC dialogues. Let's assign certain lines for certain voice actors and at least work with that. But I think that even the, the problem is that they don't know how many voice actors are gonna they're gonna have for random NPCs. That's something decided after the fact or whatever. I don't. I don't know. It's complicated because it's, it's something like Bethesda. I think it's something Bethesda specifically does. I haven't seen many other companies do that, apart from Kingdoms of Amalur as an example. But again, they have Bethesda itis, so it's complicated. Like uh, Obsidian <laughs> didn't do that in in their in uh, in their games. In, in their they've been the infected outer by their Bethesda. <laughs> they did in New it's Vegas for sure. Oh man, it's so infuriating. New well, Vegas, I, the I imagine New Vegas had a lot. It's like similar to making a Nintendo game. Like when you make like a <clears throat> Samus or whatever. Like I imagine mm-hmm. somebody from Bethesda was like breathing over their shoulder and being like, you guys are <sighs> missing a lot of NPC dialogue. <laughs> like, <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. But, but, uh, well, but they, they saw the light of day with Fallout 4. Because in Fallout 4, you can't talk to a bunch of characters. Like it's yes, just better to talk. It's better to quote unquote. Yeah, there's a lot of yes. characters just on that Snarky, yes. I think it's better. It's so much better to have a world where not everybody wants to talk to you. Right? I mean, that's a real world. That's a real world, right? It's much better. I just but feel really like... fatigued when I walk into an area <laughs> and it's just like, all right, let's talk to 70 people. <laughs> like, that's that's like they, my huge And they all bring up off, like a yeah. full dialogue window, and I'm like, Because I, <laughs> I fucking yeah. guarantee you, like, they don't have anything interesting to say. Like, that's the problem. Like, it becomes a chore. It's like, oh, wow, let's... 
there might be one and I like when I'm doing a let's play I'm like do I fucking exhaust all of these people's dialogue just to find like the one piece of dialogue that's new they might have somewhere in their seven options that's technically unique or something like there's there's some there's somebody that goes through and complains I'm skipping all the dialogue and just in a uh, Kingdoms of Amalur and I'm like I'm not I'm listening to all the actual dialogue but then it gives me this list of codex entries to click on and not only do they almost never actually say anything of substance they say the same things as each other and I'm like why did you bother wow. recording the same pieces of boring lore with like 12 voice actors and stuff and it's like there could just be fewer NPCs dudes like you don't need so many fucking characters if you're not interested in actually doing anything with any of them and then that's why yeah, it like an RPG yeah, that's why Disco Elysium no. is such a gem by just being like a one square block of a town. Yeah, Disco Elysium is sort of you. You do talk to everybody, but all of them have hours and hours of interesting dialogue that is yeah. just enthralling, and, and they're all different fun. people. Like they're everyone in Disco Elysium is a person. Yeah. Like and, and it's part, and it's because they make have... that the entire world instead of being like, and that's one. Yeah. Pl that's like that's one town you're supposed to run through in ten minutes, but we fucking made seven hundred lines of dialogue that go nowhere. But then you have things like Planescape Torment or Tides of Numenera as well, uh, where there's a lot of characters. Most of them don't talk. And the ones that do talk, you talk for, with them for hours and hours and hours and hours. And it's like long dialogues. Like the, the intro of Planescape Torment is, in my recollection, three or four hours easily and you don't leave the room. You don't even fight or anything. You're just talking to your companion oh. and there's some zombies and there's some puzzles and it's just like <laughs> setting the tone for a game where you're going to spend hours reading massive amount of dialogue. And yeah, Let's that's go. the other extreme. I hate the sound of that. That sounds <laughs> uh, uh, honestly quite awful. Of, I'll get around to it at some point. It's supposed to be one of the all-time greats. Uh, yeah, it's it's pretty good, but it it also has some down times and some things that is like all time oh. great at keeping me away from it. I don't <laughs> want that. I thought That's I honestly a... thought Tides of Nero was better. A lot of the character, well, basically every character at least makes an effort of being, uh, like characterful in a way. Like I don't remember a single character being like. I'm here to do this job, and Planescape Torment does that a lot. There's a lot of characters that are there to either convey to you an idea or whatever, or get you through a certain part of the setting or be part of a quest. Uh, and I think Tyson Omnira is like, oh, there's this fun character that has a demon in her pocket. It's really fun, and you're going to like her. There's this one that's really goofy, but also is evil. There's this one that is super evil, but he's super well-written, and it sounds like death metal every time he, sa he says anything. It's like... Some of the some of the Titus of Manera is amazing, and I honestly think um, that one character that sounds like death metal every time he says something is the best character I've ever read in a computer game. I forget his name though. I know the the name of the 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 writer mm -hmm. though, Eric Schumacher. I, I find it I find it interesting that the uh, there's no consensus on Numenera. <laughs> <laughs> People don't know what they like. I mean, People they do know what they like. Wildly <laughs> changed the answer. Well, I think it's partly just that, like, like even the fact that I said, like, oh, it's one of the all-time greats, even though I haven't even fucking played the game about Planescape Torment. It's like, oh right, I'm just echoing the same idea. Like, certain things just get canonized into being the best things ever in a way that can't, and that can't necessarily really be true in a lot of the <laughs> cases. And it's like, 
it's the Star Wars thing and it's the Ocarina of Time thing and so on, where it's like, it's like, oh yeah, Empire Strikes Back, best movie ever. And no, like, there's literally <laughs> no thing anyone could ever do with Star Wars that would ever let anyone think like no like there will never be a point where they're like oh this this new trilogy that was made by who and ho whatever the fuck 70 years later that's finally better than the original trilogy of star wars it will literally never happen and it doesn't matter how and it do, that doesn't actually speak to the quality of the movies being made now it's just the fact that you can't stop it like i had this i had this this uh, no was this fucking comment that i got today <laughs> on the fucking Oh, wait, no, it's it always my, a comment. It's always one of you people have dumb ideas. <laughs> like, <laughs> I think it was a comment on my Zelda remix video. It was not Ocarina of Time. Ocarina of Time will forever look down upon every other Zelda title and fan as the goat. It's cute that you have your own favorite game. That's cool. But people will keep going back to Ocarina of Time while the other games fade. And it's like I've gotten like a variation of that what? comment every week. Like since Ocarina I ever got time in, specifically? inserted into any of the conversations around Zelda. It's like. People are f still so fucking obsessed with Ocarina of Time, and it's like it's basically flawless by any estimation somehow. And it's like, and of course it's not. <laughs> of course it, it's not. It it's got not. all sorts of problems. But like that's oh just God. what happens. I, what? I mean, it and now it does have some of the best characters. But... You just hear certain buzzes happen, like certain people, certain yeah. rumblings where people repeat the certain opinions just enough that it becomes like, yeah, no, this is the all-time great movie or whatever. Or there's the all-time great game, and it's like inescapable at some point, and it just has this gravity of people repeating the idea enough that it has to be true. I definitely remember playing Ocarina of Time when I like when I was young, and being really tripped up by a lot of stuff. There was like stuff that just didn't I didn't intuitively understand, and it like took me a while to get through it. And I like there are things I appreciate about the game, like there are some genuinely good stuff in Ocarina of Time, but it. I think Ocarina of Time is a masterpiece when you like cut time around it. So when you take, you know, you, like your cake, you cut a perfect slice out of time and take Ocarina of Time out of that and be like, look at this, this game in this exact time period. You go, wow, yeah, like for 1998, that's a pretty Even damn then. good 3D fucking RPG, not RPG, whatever you want to call it, adventure game. It's like a really good 3D adventure game. If you compare that to like, of like Legend of Zelda on the NES. It's like such a good uh it's like a perfect like one to one, right? You go, you pick up and go like, "Wow, it is just like this. It feels like you're on a grand adventure on a huge map in a huge world." Um that's awesome. That's what it should feel like, but it doesn't make it I don't I don't think Ocarina of Time is like somehow flawless. I don't think it makes it uh, immune from i don't think it makes it like uh unable to be rusty and old and gross looking at the same time i think it's like it you know it also isn't uh like the best zelda game they've ever made either i i will honestly think it's breath of the wild will be the best zelda game that they've ever made um just because that is i i imagine breath of the wild is exactly what they wanted uh the legend of zelda to be but they could generally seem to be like the point of it was to essentially go back yeah. to the original, original, original Zelda and recapture the original point to an extent. Uh, yeah. Down to and the point of including I, Lionel's as if like to make a point. Yeah. Mm -hmm. like, and I'm, I'm like, that's what I'm saying is like, I think I think you can look at a real like a quote unquote masterpiece Zelda game 
by just taking it and holding it up against the Legend of Zelda and going like, hey, does this fit Miyamoto's like weird, uh, trippy drug dream? And you smash them together and you're like, yeah, actually, this does go together really well. Like, hey, that's crazy that you meet an old man. and He says it's dangerous out there. Here, take this. And they're like both games have that. <laughs> like, yeah, I don't, I don't you know, think even, intent matters for quality. No, but I, I don't think intent. I'm not saying that intent matters for quality. I'm saying that I think uh, you can tell there, there tends to be a commonality for like when people say like this is the best, like this is the best Zelda game. It tends to be one that captures what the what the purpose of the first Zelda game was, which is supposed to be a fun and uh, exciting adventure through a world look that at you Resident have no Evil. fucking idea. I mean, look at Resident Evil and see what people say tends to be the best one. And well, none, of the, Evil, none of the best ones are the ones that captured the original so, intent. Unless the supposedly best has like a Resident story. Evil is completely divergent from the rest of the franchise. Yeah, yeah, yeah like yeah. Resident Evil has a story though, and that's and Zelda yeah, Zelda's story is like literally copy paste every single game. So I think it's mm -hmm. a little hard to compare the two, just because I think you'll find people that have like big narrative objectives to like Resident Evil 7 versus like Resident Evil 2. People will be like, uh, I don't think I or six. Sorry, I was thinking of six. It's like I don't think six really qualifies as a good Resident Evil game when you have like fucking Resident Evil to look at. <laughs> but at the same I, time, there's probably people who are like, Resident Evil 7 doesn't fit in with like the biohazard lore. Like, I, I don't know. It's just there's so many conflicting tones to Resident Evil games where Zelda's pretty consistent. It's just like yeah, there's a really angry tan man in the desert, and, like, can we stop that guy? He's really a problem. Except for the ones where he's actually a pig instead. Can you still stop him, though? He's still over there being a problem. <laughs> like, every like every Zelda game is pretty consistent in its narrative, and it's like, yeah, there happens to be, a, like, a, a blonde elf girl who, you know, is a princess. You should, you should probably also make sure she's okay or doesn't need anything. The, the quality of any game, it doesn't have to be an old game, but I think... The, of particularly old games, this is more relevant, what I'm about to say, but the quality of any game in general is heavily dependent on what you're willing to forgive. Uh, and <laughs> not any game can, can be great. Not like You can't look at a game um, that is just, you know, meh, that doesn't really stand out for anything, and be like, okay, I'm going to forgive this and this and this and this, and what is left is amazing, Right. Uh, and so you have sometimes you have games that do r things really poorly, like Vampire Bloodlines, for example. Uh, <laughs> but there's well, and there's things where it's really. Let me talk to you about really... combat. <laughs> <laughs> but it does the other things that are kind of good. They're they're pretty good. They're good. I mean, maybe they're not the best thing. I don't. I don't think Vampire. I love Vampire Bloodlines, but it's not the best thing uh, ever happened in the history of humankind. Um, but if you forgive the combat, for example, and other things, there's plenty of things that you need to forgive for Vampire Bloodlines. A lot of people see it with fondness and say, this is amazing. And I love it. Like anytime I go back to play, it's like, oh, this is great. Because nostalgia plays a big role in that, obviously. But also the art direction, I just really like it. And, and uh, I like the spirit of the game, the sort of the heart that it has. But I'm, I'm forgiving so many other things. And that happens with Fallout 1 and 2. That happens with... Uh, yeah um like it's 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 why that's it's, it's there's just different kind of fans basically and yeah yeah the, the kind of gonna say weirdly erases problems is so frustrating 
<laughs> I, I, like I love Mass Effect 1 so much. And I also know that back when I played it a lot, I was like a Mass Effect evangelist and would loan people my collector's edition 10 copy of the game to play it. And every single one of them couldn't get past the Citadel. Oh they just God. literally really? could not figure out how to get on the Normandy. <laughs> like they could, no. that was not happening. Oh yeah, because the elevator is in the middle of a of a level. No, it's the, the fact that you have to you have to figure out how to find uh the council and have the tribunal with the council where you tell them about about Saren. Then you then you have to go yeah. on and gather evidence against Saren. So you have to find Tally in that one alleyway and so on. And over the course of that, you meet like Rex and Garrus and so because on. Because the like, elevator, the CSEC elevator, is in the middle of the hallway. Do you remember? No, it's, not, it's not that specifically. Like no? it's not that they can't find the elevator. It's that they they they, they that part of the game requires you to want to explore the Citadel. <laughs> Oh, right. I see what you mean. It's like the mindset for a real game. Yeah, like the beginning of Mass Effect is a hallway. You mm -hmm. you run forward and then Leroy Jenkins dies and you run forward and you find Ashley and you run forward and there's a guy that's like, oh, I saw Saren be evil. And you run forward and there's more <laughs> Geth and you run forward and there's like a long... Then you get to the conduit and the conduit or the site... The, is it called? You see that thing? Is yeah, it it's like a siphon thing or, or the cipher or whatever the fuck, and it gives you a vision. And then uh, cutscenes, cutscenes, cutscenes. You're on the citadel, and now you're on the citadel. And it's like, okay, so here's the presidium. <laughs> Good <In> luck. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Over it's not there even is, that big of an area. Over there is flux. Uh, there's an upper decks and a lower decks. There's a there's C-Sec. There's the embassies. There's the hangar. <laughs> there's the uh, entire area surrounding uh, the council. You go meet the Hanar and the Volus, which will never matter in the actual story, but they're fun to meet. And uh, and yeah, like if you're if you're me, you're like, oh my god, I'm gonna go into this embassy and I'm gonna find out why all these people are mad at humans and stuff, and we're gonna get this big complex setup for this world, and it's all these different characters that are well defined, and it's it's gonna be a great time. But if you're like a random person me. that was given a copy of this game, you're like, I'm lost. <laughs> I'm lost, and everything's white. And whenever I get an elevator, it's thirty seconds long. <laughs> yeah, that's that's not a great decision. I think Mom it's can the... pick me up. I'm scared. Well, that used to be how long it took to load. The 360 mm. did not have good load times. Yeah, it does not. Mass no. It's Mass just now the game also can't load doesn't... faster because this, the elevators are hard coded. Mass Effect Two has long load times on my system. I think it's just either it's probably single core, like not taking advantage of modern. Yeah. Computers. Are oh, you talking about PC? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Ah. It, la it like probably ten seconds load times, which is long. Ten seconds. <laughs> On the Xbox, it was probably ten minutes. Am I right? <laughs> uh, yeah. Pretty uh, much. Uh, long it was, it was I, literally long enough to have a conversation. Yeah. The oblivion loading screen on Xbox 360. Just watching that fucking pip slowly fill that little bar with orange over the course of what felt like minutes. Like and it, it was just so fast moving in... for an eternity. It was so fast on PC. Even at the time, I had a crappy PC. <laughs> and it was so fast. In, like my, my Morrowind would load slower than oblivion on PC <laughs> at, at the time. It was a nightmare. God. Um, I 100 percent in it. <laughs> I, I finished uh, The Witcher 1. I finished The Witcher 1 on that computer that played Oblivion when it came out. 
and the load times were long and i i was i i had my acoustic guitar at the time next to me and every time i had to load i would just play a little and that's how i learned to play the guitar was playing the, was uh playing the witcher 3 because the load times were enormous every time you died it was just like okay well i guess Jesus. it's another minute and a half what a ritual to have what a it's glowing than, review of the game it's better than when games had to be loaded onto a cassette or from a cassette or whatever 45 minutes of load times I guess I don't think that's a really good comparison. I, I think no. <laughs> I think the expectation would be that like the uh, the medium at which you you must distribute media can keep up with the scope of uh, what you're putting onto it. So like mm -hmm. ideally in tape media, you're not putting on video games that require like 15 minutes of load time, right? It should just I think be it enough. Was, I think it was a lot, like 45 minutes rather than 15. I, I've never no. had any machine like that, but I've I remember hearing people talk about enormous load. I mean, there's like, like that. I remember installing video games could sometimes take forty five minutes. But no, once I'm talking the game like in the, was installed. I'm talking about like in the spectrum or before the spectrum with tape like cassettes. Mm, maybe you know what I mean. I I, I like I, I, we were I too didn't young. I played much. To, I played like a that. Commodore sixty four, but I don't remember it being like. The I don't Commodore, remember it being bad enough. The Commodore used... Uh, what did it use for loading? Tapes, Was it I believe. Tapes? Hmm. I don't know. I've never seen any one of those. Any of that old stuff. Yeah. Basically it had a tape drive, like literally it. a cassette tape drive. Hmm. So maybe that is what, what, I'm, uh, what I'm thinking of. Uh, yeah, oh, yeah, yeah it was an awful nightmare. But, uh, but like, the idea... Oh, I'm sorry. Wait, is anyway, I'm trying to find what they look like, but it's hard to. Looks <laughs> like so we got to wrap up this week. We do. Oh, yeah, so we're doing Final Fantasy after all. Are we? Oh. Sounds like it, unless you already made plans. Oh, did he get a subscription? Yep, I think it's happening. Oh. Okay. Yeah. All right. Uh... That's the end of the podcast, Alrighty, Final then. Fantasy 17. Wait, how many? 14. It, 14, that's the one. Yep. You should oh, play yeah, Planescape Torment, though. Podcast is slowly okay. petering out in silence. Yeah, sorry, sorry. <laughs> Anyways, I thought we were going to say goodbye. Yeah, so, well, was the the loading, well, he was uh, looking something up. Yeah. Sorry, yeah, yeah, sorry. Yeah, oh. So, yeah, I'm done. Okay. Good night, so everybody. Games. Goodbye, Bye -bye. everybody. Download your games from cassettes. Don't do and that. Brush your, and brush your teeth. Brush your cassettes. With cassettes. <laughs> Magnetize your cassettes. Oh, oh God. <laughs> okay, With now this teeth. is getting into dangerous advice. <laughs> Magnetic teeth fillings on cassettes. It's going to get demonetized. <laughs> Demagnetized, more like it.